welcome to episode 12 of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, Emily White. Today is setting up your release and distribution plan part two. And again, this is part of three episodes that have different guests, but we cover different elements of setting up your release and distribution plan. Um, last week, we talked to Bandcamp founder Ethan Diamond to cover the importance of direct-to-fan, which is really you know, the foundation of building a sustainable music career. So we're definitely going to recap that again today to hopefully hammer it home. But today's episode is focused on what the music industry calls aggregators, quote unquote. Um, to me, they are distribution companies, but let's call them aggregators because we also need to differentiate from other distribution companies, which we're going to cover in, in the next episode. So what I'm talking about is DistroKid, CD Baby, TuneCore, you know, almost, you know, many of you are aware of these, um, again, aggregators. And, you know, for a flat fee or a percentage, and we're going to talk about all that today, you can get your music um, out on Spotify, uh, Tidal, Deezer, Apple Music, all that stuff, um, which are di digital service providers, which is often shortened to DSPs. Now, that is actually very exciting and revolutionary because, as we've talked about in the pre-digital era, um, for the most part, uh, musicians had to sign their rights away to labels just to be able to record and distribute. So this is really the second half of what I just said. Um, we've covered recording um, but this allows you to distribute, which is pretty amazing. Uh, we could record a song today, distribute it, get it up and out all over the world um, rather quickly. So um, to dig in on this today, I am super excited to uh, introduce my guest, Kala, who is a musician from Milwaukee. Welcome, Kala. Yeah, thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, so tell us tell us about yourself. I mean, we're, we're going to dig in on your career, but, you know, Give us a general overview if you can, and then we'll parlay that into distribution, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Kala, like you said. I was born Ian McCullough, uh, April 27th, 1991, and came from a musical and technologically um, educated family, and then grew up making music for as long as I can remember, and started releasing uh, my music that I was making 2006 was my first uh, album that I released. And then I started releasing an album every year uh, since 2006 with 2001, this, sorry, 2021 this year um, being the 15th album. I'm in my 30th birthday. I released them all on my birthday. And yeah, it's been a crazy journey <laughs> of all those albums throughout all the time. And that's the gist of my music background. They're just a little skinny. Cool. Um, and you're also a computer engineer. I did go to school for computer engineering. My dad was a computer scientist, and he would bring home old Macintoshes, power PCs, and Apple IIs, and all these things. And he would talk, teach me how to network all these computers together. And he exposed me to the programming language Perl um, and learning to be technologically educated and at least savvy i guess that's the word they say <laughs> savvy at an early age my mom told a story about how my dad had a computer but they didn't know how to change it out of chinese it was like it was a terminal in chinese and i would still navigate it even though i didn't know how to speak english so, or speak mandarin or whatever well i didn't know how to speak english even at the time i was so young oh right <laughs> literally yeah so, so it was just 
children are very, uh, very capable. Sponges. Yeah. So again, just to, um, you know, recap that really quickly. So you have released an album a year since you were 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the easier way to say it. Great. <laughs> Incredible. And you've been making music half of your life. Right. Yes. My last album was one half. That your, was your new album. Well, it is yeah. your last album, but. Yeah. I, I'm already on to the next one, you know. Yeah, I mean. of course. Well, that's what <laughs> happens when you make an album a year. So um, we're, we're going to dive deeper into your career later in the podcast uh, because I feel that you are building a sustainable music career and that you are really doing everything right. Um, but I want to recap the previous episode uh, with you a little bit. And I, I don't mean this in any bad way. I know you haven't listened to it, but I also know you deeply understand the topic. So I guess what I want to ask is, you know, what does, quote, direct a fan mean to you? Why is it important? How do you go about it? I think direct to fan is everything almost like I'd say it's the great majority of what I want, I'm focusing on. I'd say for the great majority, I wouldn't say everything, but it's the great majority. That's where, excuse me, I, when I first, like I've been making music for 15 years, but I had been making it for myself for most of that. Um, and then, you know, maybe four or five years in, I started sharing um, with my friends or with family or in the depths and the annals of the internet um, and just sharing it with people there, uh, but not really focusing on it as a, as a career. And then recently I'd say uh, I, I went to Trinity college in Dublin to get my master's in music and media technology there in 2006. Um, and after that, then I really focused on music as a career. And since then I've, I, I went full on direct fan and, uh, and that's, and that's been the, the, really the way that I've been able to build, uh, you know, pay rent <laughs> essentially and, and actually create a real connection with people, real connection with my fans and understand what's actually happening. Like the years prior, maybe 10 years, I had all my stuff on, I, I had, I had put my music on aggregators. We'll get into that, but I, you know, on YouTube, for example, people would be commenting on things and I didn't make a single reply to a single comment until around 2006. So it had been, it had been almost 10 years or so since in me not even engaging in any fan. So from 2006 to 2016, you never responded to a fan comment online? Not, yeah, I'd say minimal, maybe yeah. a few, one or two, but like it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't part of, it was still, I was, I was still not fully engaged as making it my full-time right. career. And then once I went full-time, I realized that these relationships are actually what is, will actually bring me wealth more so than just pay my rent and all that stuff. But actually the wealth, the true wealth as a musician and anyone in general is the relationships you make with people who appreciate who you are and what you do. And that's really the wealth that I found started communicating with the fans and getting so much out of it in so many different ways. And and I have total control over it um, for the most part. I can't control what the fans do or say or feel or whatever, but kind of as a musician, you can kind of mess with their emotions a little bit. But uh, but yeah, so the, the direct-to-fan, I've, I've fully embraced that as as a primary, the primary method to building my sustainable career. And once, yeah, once I went full-time, I'd say then in 2000 and. 18 or 2017 I did like a little donation fundraiser and then I started doing research 
and and find, figuring out what better ways to do it because I felt kind of weird. It was just like just donate to me, and no one got anything back. But I would was still giving all this music out and stuff. But once I once I did a direct to fan pre order fundraising like uh, thing on my website, that is to me was was really just a, a key to like wow now I can actually raise money to make vinyl and to get merch and to go on tour. And that was huge. Whereas traditionally you'd need a label or an investor or someone to be able to front, front that money. But who's the better, who's the best investor than, you know, some person who's trying to get a cut out of it or someone who just wants you to succeed and wants a shirt or a vinyl in return and an album. And, you know, <laughs> so I think I figured that was, I mean, it's a, to me, it was a no brainer. It was like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. And people react really positively. And you also know who they are. You collect their data. Exactly. And that's the, I mean, that's the, you know, the core tenant of direct fan is like, is I have all the information of all the people just as a small business would have their own, you know, user base or, or customer base and all the information and all that stuff. It's the same thing. It's like, why would you, if you had a small business, why would you outsource all of your data to someone else for them to keep it? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Where do you run your uh, fundraiser and pre-order? Uh, well, the yeah, the pre-order fundraiser. I've been, I kind of leverage my my computer engineering background, and I have found this old uh, WordPress plugin um, that has been since discontinued. But it was a it was a bare bones fundraising, you know multiple tiers and you get to see a thermometer fundraising thermometer and all this stuff and it had all the basic functionality and so i kind of just took that and put it up on my wordpress site on color.com and just kind of finagled that and hacked it together um and so i do it i have a diy fundraiser essentially like i'm it's it's essentially the same as a kickstarter if I didn't have that knowledge of knowing how to work this work, work, work uh, make like plugins for WordPress or whatever it is, probably would go with Kickstarter um, or something like that. Uh, but yeah, so I run it all out of color.com. So there's no middlemen between anything. And it's just me and the fans and or whoever. <laughs> so for those of us that are not computer engineers, um, you know, you mentioned Kickstarter um, you know, I, I love Kickstarter. I've had a lot of success with them, but you know, you know, two things to keep in mind there is obviously there's a commission, which, you know, right. whatever. Um, but you you don't have to pay that commission when you run the fundraiser through your site. And then also you have to hit the goal to get the money with Kickstarter. So that's not the case. Um, oh, do you? yeah. Uh, and there, you know, there's a few workarounds on that. You can put your own money in or there are other sites too. Kick that's what I was going to say. Kickstarter is yeah. just the thing that I know people know, like I'll, even sometimes describe it to people as a Kickstarter, right. quote unquote. Yeah. It's like, it's just the brand name. It's like, oh, that's Kleenex Absolutely. instead of a tissue where it's just like, oh, you know, there, there are, I think there are, I would, I mean, I haven't done extensive uh, searching, but like there are definitely sites. Like I did, when I first looked to vinyl, there were vinyl, there were websites that were like, well, have you pr do make a pre-order on our site. Right. And then if you reach your goal, then you'll get the vinyl. And so the, like there, there are lots of sites that are doing this. There's all these places that are doing and people are wising up and they're like, Oh, this is great. You know, we can do a fundraiser for this. And it's, it's a, I think even with like 
can kind of do it out of the box with some PayPal tools and stuff right. too. So it, it's, you know, it's more accessible than you think, but to have something reliable and, and trustworthy and stuff, I don't know. I, I've just been kind of DIY all the way. <laughs> and, I, and again, for those of us that aren't computer engineers, um, you know, you can also work with Indiegogo yeah. as far as crowdfunding goes, because you don't, um, that's the other one. That works yeah, uh, you don't have to hit the goal to keep the money. So that that's definitely compelling. Um, and then also again, for non-computer engineers like myself, um, you can also sell things through your Squarespace website. I'm not sponsored or anything by Squarespace, but um, yes. you know, I, I sell books direct to fan. Um, Squarespace and Shopify. Those are, you know, like the deadly combo. You don't, I mean, Squarespace has um, commerce built in. You don't even oh, need does? Shopify. Yeah. Tells you how much I know. <laughs> well, again, we're not all computer engineers. So, okay, great. That was an awesome recap to direct to fan. Maybe, maybe just if you have anything to add about the importance of that data for long-term use, right? Like you've put oh, out yeah. 15 albums, you're putting out an album a year. You know, I, I believe you, you hope to do that forever. Yeah. It's super important because a lot of people are repeat. You know, like they want to get back year and year. Like the crazy thing to me is because I have the data now, I know who is, I know, I know like the value of each individual person's contributions over time. So like every, every person has a different, you know, position per se, like a different, they're in a different stage of the journey, you know? And I, I go like this year, I went and imported all the, all the emails to MailChimp and categorized everyone and stuff. And, and realize, wow, there are some people that have been that have been um, pre-ordering these things for three years in a row now since I started, and it's just like, wow, those people I need to thank extra hard. Like so, and so the data, having that data and knowing it, and like being aware of it, and being immersed in who your fans are, that only uh, that only reinforces that relationship. So like these people, the super fans or the the people who are just, you know, there's all variety of different types of users. But again, I mean, it's, it's, it pay it like these relationships and that information year after year for me, at least can turn into, you know, can turn into funding for actually for a tour or for the album itself. And if I didn't have them, if I had to fight for it every year and try to remember who is it or, yeah. or rely on Facebook's algorithms or, paying promotional things to try to reach these people, you know, it's nothing crazy. It's just an email list, really. You know, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing, uh, nothing mind blowing or scary, you know, for, for anyone, you know, I say it's like one of the, it's older than Facebook is <laughs> an email list. So it's tried and tested, you know, over time. And it's still, it's still the, uh, one of the better ways to directly communicate with, it's, it's just like, I know everyone has that email. Not everyone uses, well, what are they going to use? Facebook Messenger. Maybe they have sure. a WhatsApp or maybe, you know, I know there's text uh, texting groups, which I haven't gotten into, but uh, I'm very intrigued by that way to communicate with people via texting. Um, but I mean, it, it's, yeah, for any musician that that wants to release their stuff or realize, you know, maybe is hesitant about getting an email, it's like, what is Spotify going to do for you What for for connecting with those fans? You know, what is SoundCloud? You can message the SoundCloud at least. But like Spotify and iTunes and stuff or Apple Music or Deezer, like they, you don't know your fans. I only know my Spotify fans half the time because of <laughs> the Spotify wrapped thing that they do. At the end of the year, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's like every every year, the, every Spotify user will get 
like these nice graphs showing who, and it's cool. I love watching it and I love seeing it. Uh, they'll see like, these are your top artists and this, and they'll give you interesting things about your listening history over the years, over the year. And I'll, people will come out of the woodwork because they're posting on Instagram and I'll have no idea who these people are or anything about them. But at least when they post it on Instagram, at least I have their handle I can follow. And they, cause they tag me, but how many people post them and don't tag me? I don't know. Or how many people I can only imagine, you know, to scale how, how much that matters where it's like, if I have all those emails, then I can actually communicate with them and say like, Hey, I have a new album or Hey, here's a new shirt that I made or, or, Hey, I'm doing the pre-order or, Hey, I'm actually, or like, you know, another example of using that data is if they're in the pre-order they're doing the pre-order, I usually have their billing or their mailing addresses because I'm sending them vinyl or I'm sending these things. And so I can target them if I'm going on tour to a specific region. It's like, oh, let me just look at all the people who are in this region and hit them up, you know, and be like, oh yeah, like I'm coming your way. And then, you know, I mean, you, yeah. Well, and you mentioned SoundCloud too. And that's a, that's a good thing for me to touch on because that's definitely mentioned in the book. A good thing for me to touch on while we're talking, talking about distribution stuff um, I, you know, I'm not, you know, SoundCloud, you don't really make money. You don't know who the fans are. And I think people should only really be on it if their genres are super active on it as far as discovery. So like rap, EDM, I'm sure there's a million other genres, but, um, you know, my teams have always just used, uh, SoundCloud for, um, unreleased album links to mm. send it to, you know, tastemakers and stuff like that in advance of release. So we don't have to dig in on SoundCloud, but you mentioned it. So I just wanted to. Yeah, I haven't found any really that no. much use in SoundCloud. Yeah. I get like likes every once in a while, but I'm not active. They make you pay to like have it for a certain amount of of, of uh, Bandcamp. You can do as much as you want. It does almost the same thing, you know, in terms of embedding a sure. song in there. And at least there, they have the option to, to like pay you. Yeah, it's just, it's just, <laughs> God forbid. Yeah, and you get their emails. Yeah, exactly. So with with, with the or they can opt in to to right. being on your yeah. mailing list. So, but with SoundCloud, yeah, I've just always been like. What's the deal? But again, I mean, your, your point is really good. It's like SoundCloud rappers, it's a thing. Totally. And people, you know, and I'm not in that niche. So I'm not really that type of person to use SoundCloud. So you rap sometimes. That's true. <laughs> um, I would put, I have a, I have an unreleased, uh, some unreleased stuff on SoundCloud there. It's called Blues Raps and, and Beatbox, but I spelled raps with a W. I don't know why. Call a deep dive. It's from like over 10 years ago. There's some, there's interesting things. Well, what I think you should add to that and anyone who is a SoundCloud rapper, EDM or whatever, and you know that there's a lot happening on SoundCloud in your genre, um, throw your um, email list link and your text Mm. message club link in the body. So hopefully you can find out who those people are listening and and stay in touch with them. um, Like what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's a great point. And, And SoundCloud at least let you put links. Right. Like, Spotify, yeah, Spotify, you can do an artist pick. You can like do a, it does embed with song kick. So like it, which is a touring, like I was just working on that just before we were talking, was adding a, adding a, um, an event to my song kick. So it shows up on Spotify. And I believe even on YouTube, I, you know, it's embedding with a lot of different things. So people who are on tour or whatever, throw everything in song kick and bands in town and all those things. 
but yeah, Spotify will do that, but that's out of their choice. Like I have, yeah, there isn't a nice, oh yeah, put your website and put your this and put your, they do have a bio and you can, and you can add stuff in there. So I don't know. I don't want to be ripping on them all, all day. <laughs> you, I mean, before this, you were saying really positive things about Spotify to me. So you're not just like a Spotify yeah. person by any means. You know, they're, they, they exist, you know, they're the majority of my income, to be honest. So it's like, I can't hate them too much, but you just, but they're just, they're just there and it's not the be all and end all of everything. I don't think everyone should throw all their weight into sound into Spotify. Like I do think the direct to fan is much more, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll have a much greater ROI in the long run. Um, What's an ROI? Return on investment. (laughs) But, but, uh, but still sound like it's where everyone it's where everyone listens. And I, I remember I didn't listen to, I hadn't heard the last podcast you did, but I did hear the one with Ariel Hyatt. And um, she said a great phrase, which I've been repeating to everybody was feed them where they eat. And that, that's to me, like, that's all you need to know about Spotify. I feel like it's, right. just, it's just, that's the, it's the way to get to people's ears. It's the way to get where people consume it. Is, should there, is there major reforms and disruption that will probably happen in the next 10 years? Yeah. So don't, think too hard about it <laughs> just do as you know i don't know that's the way I, like it, it's not it's not my priority but i do love i do like when the numbers go up on there and i do want them to continue to go up but usually that's a result of hustling other things and like pushing people towards it and other right. organic growth that's going there but there's so many ways to approach spotify and all that stuff that's a different conversation well i mean but how have you had success because i think most musicians would be like oh i get nothing and you're telling me that's maybe your largest revenue stream. Well, yeah, I guess I'm, I left out a little bit of the, you asked me about, about myself and part of what I've been doing over the past 15 years has been releasing all my music under a creative commons license. Uh, so essentially giving the music for free for whoever wants to sync it in their, in their videos or their games or whatever it is. And it's really just targeting, um, really just targeting people who are just getting started advertising firms with like one or two people, you know, really just, really just, uh, you know, content creators that don't have any budget and really just want to make awesome art and they want to, they want to create, but they have no music to be able to do it. So I've just been basically giving my music, allowing those people to use whatever songs they want from my discography. Just like, yeah, just go for it. Just give credit. And, and because of that, you know, it reaches an organic audience. People, if you have really good music that people really like and they hear it, they're going to want to check out what it is. And that's what happens. You know, people do, I get comments all the time being like, I heard this on this, didn't like blown away. Some people be like, I didn't like the game at all. But when this song goes on, then I'm like, actually, I like this game now. It's like, what? Yeah. You know, stuff like that where music make you know, some people's songs, really touch certain people in certain instances. And that's kind of the magic of it all. Um, so, I mean, that's been the organic growth and just releasing a steady stream every year of releasing the music and releasing it totally accessible to everybody. To me, it's like, why would I remove, why would I make more barriers between me and the audience? And that's really the, that's really the, the gist of that, that philosophy is just why would I put a paywall behind something or why would I, 
why would I make it harder for people to do when I, all, my goal is to get as many people to listen to it as possible, especially early on in my career when there's really nothing, I, I don't have any, there's no, you know, I'm not signing contracts for some sync deal or I'm not doing all this stuff, you know, maybe when that happens, you know, if that's happening, then there might be a different conversation, but for, to get started, there's nothing, you, you don't lose anything. I don't think you only gain stuff. I, I think. And, you know, you said, oh, I, I license my music for free. Um, but it is really important that you get credit. I, I've seen that happen yeah. where if, so, you know, explain that to people because people might just use your music for, oh, cool, I can use Kala's music for free. But I, I saw you really upset one day where, and I've seen your fans upset. When there yeah, was they're a more ma- upset than me. <laughs> <laughs> when there was a major brand that used your music and didn't give proper credit. So yes, it is technically free from a monetary standpoint, but there is still right. something that the... Um, yeah, well, they, licensor needs to do. Yeah, they didn't follow the license, and that's the problem. Is like it, it's by you know there there are issues with that way of doing things because that can happen. You know, people don't give credit, but you know there is still Shazam, and there is still things. But you know that's you know that it's unfortunate that that you have to rely on on that. But things are getting things are getting smarter in the future. I don't think it'll even be a problem. Like when you know looking down the line when. All these things are, you know, all the, you know, there'll be one central music brain or at least multiple brains that can connect with each other really nicely about like cataloging all the music in the world and keeping, having fingerprints for each song and all that stuff, like, you know, and having, having, uh, having a, you know, all, all of that information stored and easily accessible. Um, It might make that a little easier for attribution in the future where it can become, become automatic or whatever it is, but, um, yeah, I mean that. I mean, there's been a couple brands, and it's usually not the brand that's like, let's find this music. It's it's usually they out they it's a it's like an advertising firm or a video firm or something, and they use it, um, and they give credit or something. That's happened in a couple times where like they'll release themselves, but then when they get handed over to the the big right. brand, then the brand will strip everything out of it, you know, in the description or whatever, and that's why. For me, I'm always like basically at this point, I have a I'm pretty strict with on screen credit, where it's like no, there needs to be on screen because anyone can scrub the metadata, yeah. Anyone can re resave the video or do this stuff, and and it, you know a lot of these times it might be, you know, it, it it happens every day. Like, you know, it is sad to see where it's like, dang, like that's just like a million views, like. I wonder how many people Shazam <laughs> this random video or this random audio in yeah. one part of the song. Probably not that many. Right. Uh, but how many people be looking for that anyway? You know, I don't know if it didn't, if it wasn't like the people that the, the times when it really sticks out, it's like when the, when the audio is the showcase of a part of the video. And sometimes when it's just background music, it's not really like, I don't know. It's harder, it's harder to, to impact people like that. Um, but it is a tough, is, you know, that, everything has a pros and cons, you know, and that's definitely a con is that when, when, but at the, at the end of the day, <laughs> who's to say that people aren't just taking people's music anyway, even right. if you don't use that, that licensing. Right. And that's one of the things I always fall back on. It's like, I grew up in the age of Napster and all that stuff. And like, I didn't know what I bought a CD like once on my first time buying a CD was on Apple or it was on iTunes, you know, it's not a CD. Well, it was an album, yeah. yeah. Buying an album, uh, but th- yeah, the 
Yeah, it's 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 you know, there's pros and cons to it all. What was it? The white stripes. Uh, <laughs> the white stripes. The white stripes. I couldn't. I, I the reason I said C is because I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the CD anywhere, so I had to only. I could only find it on a, on iTunes. Yeah. And I remember being like, "Dad, can I get this out?" Is it worth it? Why I don't know. And I'm like, then he ended up saying yes. Okay. And then we went to see the White Stripes uh, with him. He he came with me and my buddy Ray and his dad, and we all went to see the White Stripes at the at the rave years later. So, Amazing. Yeah. At the rave or the Eagles Ballroom? At the rave. That's impressive. I did. I mean, not to one up you, I did see them in like a hundred capacity rooms. But... <laughs> yeah, that's better. It was it was a promo thing for a radio station. They, you know, it was. And like... I watched, you know, it was like the one of their last albums, and there was really good songs in that, but they were definitely already almost done, you know. So it wasn't like prime. Yeah. but still it was i can't complain yeah no that's awesome <laughs> and so you're well again so just in short so if someone wants to use their music how do they credit you like because that could mean a lot of things you said on screen is is that the requirement yeah it's it's attribution so that's the thing it's like wherever po- it's basically wherever possible okay um and if there's no way to do it then if, then we need a different then it's a different license right then then we're dealing with something else but if if someone if someone and that's what and that's where it gets weird with the with the stuff like uh, when a brand ends up having when releases a video on their YouTube channel right with and they have millions of subscribers and stuff and if you know that and that and that gets you know it's a, it it gets it gets hairy with licensing and that aspect where it's like well I could I, you know. There's there's a lot of improvements to that model, you know. I'm not going to say that it's like the best thing ever, and that everyone should go out and just release all their music for free and everything, um, just because. I think that is know. what you think. Not to tell <laughs> you what to think, but well, like it's not for it's not. And I'd say like again, the majority of instances, maybe it's for for everyone just starting off in their music career. Yeah, it's not going to hurt. Uh, you know, it's still it's still. A, it's still a sync. It's still on there. I know it's there. It's there. It's it's proof. It's real. It's there. You know, yeah, that I miss out on some things, but um, like I said, you know, that's a different license than if someone doesn't want to give credit. So, and if someone doesn't, technically it's against the license and technically, yeah, I could like message, uh, message them to say, hey, this goes against the license, but it's all done. And what am I yeah. going to do? Like, you know, send I, them a takedown notice. Yeah, like I could. Yeah, I guess. Like, but it, but then my then my song's not there. Right. <laughs> you know, but or you know if it gets taken down or they have to scrub it or who knows. But it's a, I, I think that world's only going to get you know, a little hairier before it gets cleaner. I think to be honest, in, right? In the mess messiness of all licensing and stuff, um, it already kind of is. Well, and that you know your entire catalog, and you know. Uh, both for free and that you know for fans and then also for people to license it is all housed at call it up it's all on your website call it up right. com. yeah that's that's the beauty of having your own website is you know is you can you can put all the information all the most i don't know that's why i recommend everyone to get a website even if i mean even if it even a band camp or something you know even yeah. though it's not a website but like better than nothing like people yeah. need something where they can go to a website is pretty necessary i'd say just starting just want to release an album and you know you're not you know you know fresh no you know 
but now it's so easy to set up a, a website. And, so you're saying ogres is getting going wait are you because i disagree if that's what you're saying i'm like well, do it now and start collecting that data asap yeah definitely but like if you're if you haven't even made a song yet right like, sure or if you're like you have this i you know but coming then, soon i don't know <laughs> yeah i guess i don't know I, I guess i'm trying to be careful with it all but but uh yeah websites are amazing and you know i'm a web developer and I feel great about having a place that I can control and that I can, you know, I can be in charge of and yeah. I can, I, I can, con- sorry, no, I can control. That's really important what you just said, but go ahead. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, you can do anything you, you want on there. Like I, you know, I integrate my, my Patreon with a secret area of my website, right? right. Something like that, where that's another way to, to, to directly communicate with fans. It just seems more more ubiquitous now. Like people are, you know, like things like Patreon or or Substack or like now there's monthly subscriptions, like or like subscriptions on Twitch or subscriptions on YouTube and all these different content platforms are incorporating these these more you know these monthly the monthly payments and stuff. But you know, if you have your own website, you can do your fundraiser there. You can you can integrate your Patreon content there. I can sell my merch there. I can do all those things there just on my website. Whereas traditionally, you you know, if I have a manage, manager or a label or something that does all that, they're taking 15, 20%, 30%, who knows? You well, know. the manager takes 15. Right, the manager will take 15. And, and then, then the label takes anywhere from 50 to 85%. Yeah, it all depends on whatever deal you got, but, but it's a... And add those numbers together too, because if you're with a label... Right. And I'm a longtime manager. I, lo- I, lo- I love commission because you live and die by the artists and you're all working together, hopefully towards the greater good. But th- these are important margins to bring up. I mean, if you're on an indie label, it's generally going to be 50% of the recording revenue to you as the artist, 50% to the label. And then if you have a manager, um, we're going to commission 15% on your 50%. So this gets whittled. And that's an indie label, a major label. You know, it's... Uh, um, recouping is amazing if you do it you want to get the biggest advance possible because you're more often than not selling your rights but um that was an amazing recap of direct to fan um and and again just i keep saying recap let's recap um again so you've landed hundreds of sinks um by licensing thousands (laughs) thousands thousands of sinks for a 30 year old man and that has um contributed to driving listeners and fans to spotify which is how we started talking about that Yep. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of the major, a lot of the biggest fans are the folks that end up using it in their art. Because, right. Because there's nothing more special than when art artists share um, and create something new. And that's really like a really special thing. That's, that's also a part of why I do it. Cause it's, cause it empowers artists. I, I feel, I feel so validated when the art gets elevated to some other degree. Like when a, when a, a student, makes a film that's actually freaking amazing it blows me away i like i always i get so emotional mm-hmm. you know when i see it when i see something turn into something in something beautiful like you know i like the song already but man when it takes it to another level and then a lot of times those people they appreciate it and they'll be like wow this guy's really awesome for sharing these things and then they become a fan mm-hmm. and then they give to the fundraiser and then they do that so you know maybe not everybody's Every person that uses it is going to do it, but people will. It's just another way to to reach people that want music. <laughs> They're looking for it. You know, I hear that all the time. They're like, hey, I'm looking for all this music. And I stumbled upon 
15 albums that I can use. Right. And it's just like, wow. And then they dive deep into it. And then, you know, they end up finding the ones and then, then they, it's the, it, the best ones are when, when it's like, you know, it's just a solo creator or, or, or a small, you know, a small group of one or two people, maybe, or something There's small people are just hustling, you know, some other creator or digital creative that's like hustling their stuff. And I get to see them and they just exhaust my entire library and they'll be like, do you have any more? <laughs> they'll be like, uh, next year. <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, I, I think what's really important here is you are getting something in return. So, you know, artists have heard from the music industry for so long, like, oh, just do this for free. It's good promo. Right. But like, right. it's really important to get something in return. So it's like, Maybe you are doing some free promotional thing um, and then just encourage people like, but here's my email list, like, you know, post that yeah. or if it's an in-person thing or whatever, try to get some data in return because that's what, you know, you've yeah. done so well with the licensing. Yeah. The way that I think about it, when I say free and all that stuff, it's like, well, it's non, it, it's, I think about it in terms of the music itself is, is free, like freedom, not yeah. free, like free 99, like, or, you know, or like there's a coupon code to make it zero dollars sure it it's the song lives it lives free and people can use it in that in that way um and I, it's a great point though you know, like not like not to be confused with yeah doing something do like playing a show for free or do, right. constantly doing things for free or composing a song for free yeah. or writing someone for free like i still own all both sides of all my songs i exploit the hell out of them as much as i can mm -hmm. but i also allow people to give attribution, which also is something in return. Right. right. So exactly. like, I'm not just saying like, here you go. Like if someone wanted to use it and not give attribution, then they would have to give me something in return. Yeah. Which is like, money, which is a normal non-exclusive yeah. like license. agreement, right. And then that's money. Yeah. Or some sort of bartering or some sort of thing or whatever, just something. Just... What have you bartered for besides credit or money? <laughs> well, I mean, there's one time I bartered, uh, well, I guess I composed something. Um, but I traded a song for this intuition session where cool. it was like a, is, is someone, uh, uh, someone here in Milwaukee reached out and was, we're and, not in Milwaukee right now, but <laughs> someone in Milwaukee re reached out and was like, Hey, if, you know, if you make this, I can trade you a session, essentially just like a, a channeling set where they channeled me and all my thoughts and things going on. It's really, really really an interesting experience and they recorded it and i still like listen to like two hour conversation about all of the depths of like my emotional states and mind and all and and just yeah the, my intuition and, and everything so you know you can get something or you know or yeah or, or you know whatever it is as long as as long as there's a fair exchange right you know that that's really what matters is the is the fair exchange and um, an attribution to me is fair enough. Like honestly, people people just using it and getting value is 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 really the what gives me that gives me more pleasure and like satisfaction than an attribution. But I know the but like my there's a that you know there's the artist and the the hippie and the like the altruist and lover in me like it's like yeah just see everyone to take it. But then there's like the businessman and the and the mathematician and the scientist that's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. You, you know, this is not how you build it. It's not how, this isn't going to last the, the long, the long run. If you, you know, just by 
you know, so I feel like it's a happy medium. It's like a, it's a balance between them, of course, you know, but like I said, that is the purpose of that is to drive people to able to other channels to monetize. Exactly. So that it's not like, yeah, just give everything for free forever. And that's, and then just hope that one day something happens. Right. You know? That's not the, that's not the plan. That's not the goal. Exactly. Uh, but it, it is free the culture. I think I maybe you said that, but I do like that element of it. Yeah. The freedom aspect. Yeah. yeah like I think when artists are free to, to just in exchange, you know, and have an easy way to do it just by giving some, I mean, people do it all the time. It's like, but it's not under a, you know, if people were, you create a, like if every photographer at a show who gives it out for free, right? like, you know, for example, everyone was always, you know, they always just want credit, but it's not, they're not licensing it. It's right. just a, oh, hey, could you just give credit when you can? And I, you know, I try to as much as I can, Same. but when it comes down to like years down the line, that yeah. photo was taken from any, you know, again, it gets the same problem. We're like the same situation where this, you know, brand used a video that this firm made and then, you know, whatever, and it's passed on three degrees of separation. The same thing happens with like photos where it'd be like, you know, I have so many photos from gigs or from photo shoots where I'll always give credit and everything I ever post. But then other people, don't. but then yeah. whatever promoter or venue, whatever uses those, those, those photos and doesn't give credit or I'll give specific instruction or I'll be like, these are photos by this yep. person. Please give credit where, you know, and you think, you know, and they still, you know, people don't. So it's like, that's the, you know, ph photographers are all too aware of that part of, uh, and, you know, uh, visual artists in general have a really tough time with that. I've always had a great relationship with photographers um, because we've been super big on credit. Uh, I, I just, this is a little off topic, but it, it's, you know, relevant to people. Um, I remember when I was uh, quite young and uh, working with the Dresden Dolls and the band was on the rise, you know, we would get photo pass requests sometimes from students and stuff. And we would just say yes to everyone as, as far as like how much, you know, room we had on guest list or whatever and say, um, um, yes, but is, uh, as long as we can use the photos on our website and social media stuff. And right. I've gotten emails from world-class photographers years later being like, you were the only person who ever wrote me back when I was in college and asked me mm. for photo pro photo passes. But it's like, it was mutually beneficial. And um, yeah, I'm really hardcore about um, crediting. And also like, even when people send me like press shots for um, the podcast and stuff, I'm like, great, what's the credit? Like, I just always yeah. go got go out of my way to do that. I mean, it's it's the right thing to do, but also if you want to have really great relationships with photographers that's a good way to do it no 100 percent. like i mean i see it all the time people complaining you know and yeah. it's brutal i mean because i it, like i said it's the same that it's analogous to you know right. a brand using my song totally and it, all of a sudden i'm not given credit because it's three degrees of separation or whatever it is it's like okay, i mean like yeah it it's the the attribution means a lot and i think that it's 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 almost a currency in itself like it's almost like right it, it's almost like okay well that's the exposure books right yeah the exposure books of like <laughs> yeah like i i don't know i don't know what maybe you have a better in, inclination like how many exposure books equals one real book <laughs> i haven't yeah like i haven't thought four, about it that way 10 20 exposure books. i've never even heard that before but obviously i understand what you what yeah you like I think, you know, it's not, it's not worth nothing. Sure. You know, and it's definitely worth something to, to like 
obviously it's for me, it's been a way to build, you know, a fan base and to build Spotify and build Patreon and people on my website is all through exposure. Yep. But attribution exactly. is the way is the key to that. Which is getting something in return. Yeah. Attribution is just credit. It's just giving a credit, like more or less. That's essentially what attribution is. That's right. So let's talk about aggregators. Very exciting. Um, are those in Florida? Ha <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. Oh no, those are alligators. Or well, there's gators in this word too. It's I don't know. I, know that's I, I get it. <laughs> so when TuneCore came along, they were I I I didn't research this, but in my world, they were the first um, where you could distribute worldwide. You know, like without a label and get on iTunes and. Spotify and, and all that good stuff. So I was definitely a TuneCore person for a long time. In the book, I compare TuneCore and CD Baby because those are definitely the top two, again, aggregators I've, I've seen over the past decade that musicians are always deciding between. And I literally break down the math of when you should use TuneCore and when you should use CD Baby. The only thing I heard from, well, I mean, like, I, I don't want to be like too arrogant. The like, loudest thing. Well, just like, or the only like thing I heard from musicians from the book, besides like that they really like it and thank you, um, is like, what do you think of DistroKid? Like, I got a lot of, the, oh my god, you covered CD Baby and Tuka, but like, like there was, I, I know that I was lo- one of my responses. Too, that was right? one of your responses. I have um, a lot of listeners in India. Shout out to India. Um, some of you have tweeted at me asking that question. So um, it's something that I really wanted to dig into because I've solved, quote unquote, solved when you should work with TuneCore and CD Baby. Um, but again, like artists, uh, were, were saying this to me and I really respect you. And, um, so, so let's factor in DistroKid here as well. Um, you and I were talking about this before the podcast. Um, looks like we can, I, I mean, I've had a great relationship with TuneCore over the years, but it looks like, um, DistroKids completely undercut them pricing wise. So it, it doesn't make sense to work with TuneCore. Sometimes it sucks to be first to market as far as startups and, business go- I mean I'm, I'm they've obviously yeah, had so- a ton of success they still there's still a ton of people distributing with them but um you know a lot of people are looking at the numbers and you know TuneCore just doesn't make sense so it, it essentially comes down to CD Baby versus DistroKid and CD Baby as far as just distribution goes and and for sake of simplicity um you know I'm I'm thinking that you have one release but we'll talk about some nuances in that for sure um, but if you're releasing an album and you want to work with CD Baby, it's $29 once plus 9% um, of your royalty, of your uh, master recording, you know, your streaming, your um, Apple Music, all that stuff. Um, so that's what happens when you distribute with CD Baby. And then DistroKid, you know, in my brain, everyone's like, 20 bucks a year, unlimited, blah, blah, blah. So um, if you, you know, are releasing a bunch of tracks um, and, and, you know, Kala will talk about your situation in a second or even singles like leading into an album. Um, but upon further digging, um, so it, you know, it's 20 bucks a year for unlimited releases, but there's also another tier, which is $36.99 a year. And that seems to be the one that makes a little more sense because um, at the $20 a year unlimited one at DistroKid, you can't set your release date, but you can at $36.99. So, um, you know, you were like, oh, distro, you like, you love DistroKid. And in my brain, it was 20 bucks a year. But then I found out today, actually, it's actually really like $36.99 a year um, and no percentage. So, you know, my thoughts on this are twofold. Um, 
we did, uh, and also actually really quick, um, if you're in EDM, almost all of you know this, uh, Label Engine is probably who you want to use. They distribute to Beatport, and that's definitely the go-to for um, Label Engine. And actually, I'll, I'll cover Amuse really quick. Um, do you know how to spell Amuse? Because you... A-M-U-S-E. Okay, so it's normal spelling, right? That's how you spell Amuse. It's not like... Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned to me that, that that's free distribution, but at its core, I'm hearing a lot of questions about CD Baby versus DistroKid. So to me, the math plays out. And again, CD Baby, 29 bucks a year plus 9% to distribute an album. DistroKid, 20 bucks a year for unlimited releases, but it sounds like you kind of really need their next year of the $36.99, which we'll get into. So the way I broke this down in the book between TuneCore and CD Baby, but now I'm going to do so between CD Baby and DistroKid is if you are making, okay, and I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll start at the $20 a year uh, level for DistroKid. If you are making more than, can't quite read my own handwriting. Oh, I remember it now. $251.11 per release per year on streaming. Um, if you were making more than that, I would definitely go with DistroKid because they're not going to take a percentage. If you are not making like 250 bucks a year um, in streaming royalties, I would say go with CD Baby because um, DistroKid, you're going to have to pay that cash fee year after year. But CD Baby, it's um, after you pay that 29 bucks up front for your album, it's going to be a 9% commission. So you don't have to keep paying that cash rate. Um, the other main difference between the two, as far, as far as like fundamental differences, is clearly if you are releasing um, more than one track, album, whatever per year, definitely go with DistroKid because it's $20. Their, their minimum one is $20 a year for unlimited releases, where CD Baby, you're going to have to pay per release. So I think those are the main two caveats. I also did the math. We did the math because Kala helped me with this. On if you are with um, DistroKid's second tier, which is what Kala is with, and that's called Musician Plus, which is $36.99 a year. Um, the math on that is if you are making more than uh, $428.89 per year per release on streaming, if you're making more than that, I would go with DistroKid. If you're making less than that um, CD, if you're making 100 bucks a year, I would go with CD Baby because then, again, you don't have to pay that um, annual fee. You're just paying a commission. So that's my updated math breakdown. Um, I, I, It really depends on what your situation is, right? Like if you're releasing one album a year and you're just getting going and you know you're probably not going to hit you know, $250 or $450 in, in streaming royalties your first year, um, I would definitely go with CD Baby um, if, you know, not to speak for you, I think Kala feels a little bit differently um, as far as the DistroKid. I mean, let me ask this, like, is DistroKid 20 bucks a year or 36.99 a year? Because I thought it was 20 bucks and now you're like, oh, actually I pay 36.99. Well, they have three tiers. They had a bunch of tiers, but as far as well, musicians go. Yeah, for I started out at the 20 a year when I was moving all my albums over. And then when I made a new release, I realized, oh, I need the Musician Plus. So then I upgraded. Right. To, to that and so, why did you need that because i because of the scheduling your yeah. your your release so i have i i also use tunecore when i started aggregating <laughs> when i started my aggregation 
the, it was, I don't know when that was, to be totally honest, when I started using tune cores, when I, so that was really the, the, the best on the block. And that was like, in, I could only, I think it was in 2012 or something like that, 2013, maybe around then. Um, and I'd use them, but I, I, at that time I had 10, 11 albums. Right. <laughs> so I was paying $50 per album per year. Well, $30 the first year. The first year. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, it was the only thing I had. And it was like, I was like, it's, I mean, still beats not having any music out there, you know, for me, at least at the time that it was, that's what I, my, my rationale was. Um, but then it, when I moved back to Milwaukee from Dublin, I had a, a musician friend, uh, shout out to Kaylee Conway. She, she was telling she was asking me, she's like, what do you use for your distribution? What do you use for, you know, for your aggregation? She didn't say aggregation, <laughs> but what did you use for your aggregator? She's right. I would call it a distributor as well, but the industry calls it aggregators. But, and so then I was like, oh, I use TuneCore. Yeah. Like I basically, you know, like I, I end up breaking even every year. It's kind of, it's all right. Like that's what, that was my, I was like, yeah, that's all right. I'm breaking even. Uh, and she, she's like, well, what is, she's like, that seems ridiculously high. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She goes, oh, well, I heard there's, have you, I'm looking at this website, DistroKid, and they're saying it's only 20 bucks a year for unlimited. And I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> this is ridiculous. And so then almost immediately I checked it out and I was like, oh yeah, I'm moving everything over immediately. Right. And I did. And it was scary because I didn't move over the, I was just learning what ISRC codes were at the time. What are they? I don't know what it stands for, but it's basically the unique identifier for this, for a song. So it's, it's I think the, it's international something, international yeah, song, song rights, yeah. ISRC. Yeah, someone someone will look it up. Yeah, copyright. But, but it's essentially just the the unique number of like identifier for a song that almost I'd say a huge chunk, probably a great number. I don't know, maybe you know more. I'd say the industry in as a as a whole uses um, as the identifier for a song. How do you get them? Well, DistroKid will actually generate them when you upload. Or TuneCore would also right. generate them when you upload. Good. I know you can you can go somewhere and generate them yourself, or like there are ways to generate them yourselves before you release them. Um, but I usually have no need. I don't know. It's yeah, just, I would it, work with the it's just, aggregator. On it's that. just a number, just, exactly. and once it's done, once it's there, it's stamped on the on the song. Exactly. Uh, it exists and it's in circulation and everything. So when I moved over, it was a little sc- it was a little scary moment, and there was a big dip in my. Uh, in my uh, streaming numbers because I had re-uploaded all the song, like a couple albums. I went album by album. I didn't really, I didn't take everything down at once, which was smart for me. Like I did one at a time. It's like, all right, let me do this album now. So I took down one album on TuneCore and then put it up on DistroKid. And then was just like, it ended up being like, you know, I saw this huge dip and I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And I looked and there was multiples then. There was like, I could look on Spotify and I had two songs of the same song, right. but they had two copies of, uh, and two histories. And, and so then I went and, and took it down and then re-uploaded it with the ISRC code and everything went back to normal. Good. I was like, whew. Yeah. Meltdown. Yeah. Averted. So if anyone's moving over, just, I mean, everyone needs to know what an ISRC code is anyway. Um, and just know that that's very important. It's very important. And when you upload things to DistroKid, there, um, there is, you do have to check like a box to open up 
another text field to paste in the ISRC code. So like, for example, I'll release singles. Like I have an album every year, but I release them as singles. And then when all the singles are released, then I remove them all and re-upload it as an album. So it's not cluttering Spotify and, I, and Apple has all these singles that all the time, at least for me, I'm an al very album centric, but, but like the, that is the same thing. It works, it works magically. It's, it's a magic code that, you know, that, that everyone knows all the, all the, all the DSPs and aggregators will know. Um, so I was using TuneCore and then I moved to DistroKid and actually then started making money. <laughs> I mean, granted, things were growing. My, you know, my streaming was starting to grow and stuff too. Around, you know, there was multiple, there was multiple reasons as to why that was. But the main thing was me paying money and hoping to break even, to being oh, now I have half my rent paid for. Yeah, and just now from, you have all your rent paid for. Well, at the time, I know. <laughs> but so so, yeah. So and I mean, your math, your math seems, you know, the math in. It seems to check out. It's like if you're making more than 200 bucks, you know, up per $251 and 11 cents. Yeah. 250 bucks or so. Like, yeah. Then distro kit is probably the one you want because it's really that 9% is the killer for me. It's like yeah, exactly. for that's, that's the thing is, well, 9% is not that much when of like, it's essentially is that 9% plus that one time payment. Is that going to equal that yearly payment of district exactly. kids. Right. And so that's, you know, district kids things around 30, you know, whether you do the $20 or you do the 35 bucks plus the other thing. Yeah. 37. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be, you know, to me, I'm, I, I love district kid because of that. I moved to district kid, uh, and haven't looked back. If, you know, if there was another one that if amuse was like, yeah, we're, we figured it all out and everything's free and we do it. And we have great tools and we've good, you know, a good team and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I would move to another one if it was better, but it's, it seems pretty, it, it seems like it was very disruptive to switch. Like you said, you're talking about undercutting it. It's, I mean, I can't be the only one that just took everything off TuneCore and moved to DistroKid or CD Baby or whatever it is. Um, I frankly don't understand why how TuneCore still survives like at this time, you know, or how they will survive in the future if they don't, if they don't address that huge issue. I mean, maybe they, and granted, you know, we're, we're just talking about specific things. There are, there are like other aspects to like CD baby and to TuneCore in regards to like YouTube content ID or like collecting PRO, you know, stuff or, or all those things. So like there is, there is other aspects, you know, but for the base, yeah. Of just the basics of, okay, here, how many songs do I have per year? And how, how, uh, how much money do I, am I going to expect to pay for right. all these things? And for me, when I see, see CD baby and it's like, Oh, this much per song or per single, I immediately, because of my situation exactly. I, of having 15 albums and each now releasing each album as singles first now every year, <laughs> that would be releasing that, each album as singles. Right. When I released the album, I released the songs yeah. as singles first and then released it yeah, as an yeah. album. So like with CD Baby, that's how many singles? Eight singles, 10 singles, then another album. So those are a lot of one-time fees. Exactly. So it's like, well, for me, it's it's the math is painfully obvious as to which one's the best. But yeah, if, you know, someone is only making under, 
if they're making under 200 per, per release and, you know, that's, you know, they want to start off and save, you know, 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there. Yeah. That's, that, that's, a, that's a big deal, you know, but, and then you can move over whenever you want, but just use the ISRC codes. Exactly. <laughs> um, again, so just to recap that, um, it seems like if you are just doing like one release a year and again, you're, I mean, let me say this. Yeah. Should I even take the $20 per year tier on DistroKid into consideration or is, or do people have to use $36.99? I, I mean, to me, to me, I think the $36.99 is probably the one you want because if you're going to be releasing stuff, you're going to want to release it ahead of time. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because, because you want pre-saves, you want to put it into your marketing plan. You want to put, you know, when you put that into your release strategy, you're going to want Spotify. You want to, you're going to want to pitch your songs to Spotify every single time. So they can get on the algorithmic playlist and they can get on potentially get on an editorial playlist and all that stuff. And that's not going to happen with the, with, if a song is just, Oh, you'll upload it and it goes to, it goes on all the DSPs the next day or four days later or whatever it is. Um, immediately as ASAP, they'll put it on. Um, and you just kind of miss out on some things, but I'm sure that for some people that might not be a problem. Maybe they don't care. Right. Maybe it's just, I want to pay 20 bucks and just have fun. Yeah. And put things on there and it has nothing to do with trying to worry about margins and try to worry about the numbers and stuff then yeah i mean that this this the straight up you know simple tier is probably a good start or if you don't really know what's going on it's a lot to take in and you don't know about the numbers and you're not really not sure about all that stuff like you can always upgrade it's just you press, yeah that's a good point you press a button that's what i did you'll I, accept more money from you yeah i just pressed the button and they make it pretty easy they let you know they let you know hey you want to upgrade yeah and and i did you know and there are other there are other you know there's a lot you know there i've never uh, the only thing i've done with cd baby has been like watching their conferences and all the awesome stuff that they like all the awesome like conferences where where they'll bring together a lot of amazing people and talk about important things and i've seen that i i mean i'm sure tunecore has or i'm sure tunecore and um and DistroKid have had maybe some similar things. But Not I'm, that I know of. I mean, I've, I've keynoted yeah. at the CD Baby conference and stood on stage in yeah. Spain and said, this is when you use TuneCore. This is when you use CD Baby. <laughs> but I wanted to make sure I was conveying accurate information. Yeah. So, I mean, DistroKid has some artist tools and stuff for sure. But, uh, you know, but I, I would say, yeah, the C, that's my experience with CD Baby. And I just know that they're they're like OG you know, I, you know, like they've been around. DistroKid or CD Baby? CD Baby. Interesting. That's I, what, I mean, like, TuneCore is OG. Yeah. To me, both of those are OG. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're like the, of the same, they're like the same generation, the same like first aggregators, yeah. like the first people that could even do that. And that's why I, I mean, I had no choice but to do that when totally. I was, when, when, when do and bite the bullet per album, you know, and that's part of why singles release strategies wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. It, I couldn't even imagine having to do that like to like especially when i was barely i was i was paying more money to have my music on there than i was getting granted i wasn't monetizing things and i didn't have an email list and i wasn't touring and i wasn't playing play, you know i wasn't doing all that stuff but you know yeah it's it's like night and day for me in my numbers of which one to use but uh, it, yeah everyone's different and again so just to recap that um thank you for clarifying that 
Um, if you are brand new and, and getting going, um, and again, I'm just for sake of simplicity, just saying you're releasing like one thing a year, like an album, CD Baby is $29 plus 9% to release an album. And um, I think you should, and if you are making less than four, if, or if you think you will make less than $428.89 a year on streaming only, I say go with CD Baby because it's just $29 flat fee up front. Where DistroKid, it's, it sounds like, you know, for people that are listening to this podcast, they probably want to set a release date. Um, so you're probably going to want the um, $36.99 per year um, as far as that math goes. And again, if you are um, releasing one thing a year CD, and, and, and you're at that threshold where you think you're going to make less than 400 bucks a year in streaming, I would say go with CD Baby. But obviously, um, plenty of people are releasing multiple tracks a year and stuff like that. Um, if that's the case, DistroKids uh, sounds like it's the way to go because, well, not sounds like it is the way to go because it's $36.99 a year for unlimited releases. So hopefully that helps to answer the questions. I've, I mean, I get I got like a text from a subletter like, oh, I'm managing artists. Like, should I use, you know, DistroKid? And I was just like, okay, let's break this down. And hopefully that. Yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, too, with that 9%, why it's, why it's so crazy to me is, well, everyone wants to make as much they, you know if, if your goal is to make the music and to have a sustainable career then you're gonna hope that you will yeah. make more than 200 well and, uh, we decided it's 428.89 so we're not really using the 20 dollar a year tier yes some people sure, might yeah but. that's a good point so yeah i mean that yeah regardless it's like well what if you end up making more than that and then you have to pay that nine percent you know or what if what if your song does get on an editorial playlist gets tons of plays or whatever and then or, you know, or, you know, I don't know. It's hard to make $428.89 in streaming year, especially when you're just hard, getting yeah. going. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard. So but if uh, you have 38, I don't know. 30, yeah. For, for me, it's just simplicity and easiest, but yeah, like of just being on one thing and then being able to oh, upgrade. Absolutely. You yeah. know, just being on the one, one thing and not having to worry about, okay, well, when is the time I switch? And then who knows what's going to happen in the future and stuff. It's just like, well, if you're, if you're taking it, the way I look at it is like, if this is a really a priority for you and you really, and you, you know, and you're wanting to make five, more than 400 bucks a year and you can't invest $38 that one year for a whole, the whole year for as much thing to, to really go at it. Like, I think that's a, just a simple investment, but uh, it adds up though. Exactly. And I, I love your spirit and what you're thinking because you know, I just don't want people paying $37 a year and losing money. Yeah, That's why I did the math calculations. But you are exactly right from an aspirational standpoint. It's just like, well, we want to be getting past that $428.89 a year uh, threshold per release on uh, DSP slash streaming income. So yeah, invest that $37 yeah, a year and, in and this record. If you're a label too, then it's like, then we're talking about completely different numbers and we're talking, you know, like if you have multiple artists or if you have multiple projects and you know, like that, you know, it can get, the numbers can get crazy after that too. And then it's just like, I don't know, then it all seems to point to DistroKid every time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like, I don't know. I just moved to them and I started making money. So I love it. But you know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a, I haven't been paid by DistroKid to talk nope. about this stuff. Uh, well, technically they have paid me, but from the, no, world, they are a middle person. They've collected yeah. the payments exactly. and dispersed it to me. Apple's paid you. Spotify has paid you. Right. Right. Uh, we've paid you, right? Like I fans. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to DistroKid, like hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one other thing in my research, it did look like DistroKid does 
quite a bit as far as like um, musician community stuff. Like they'll connect with other artists. There's like a pretty solid yeah. musicians community or you can like vote on like who should be on a playlist. Yeah, they have some interesting and... tools and playlists and things like I, and I started using their like hyper follow thing where, you know, it's like, here's the pre-order or the pre-save rather. Here's the like pre-save link or the link. It's like a link tree, but for dis but district gives you a, um, a URL to point everyone to, to click on their favorite DSP, you yeah. know, stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, that, you know, that makes things simple Yeah, and they do it. And I, maybe these other ones do that too, but you know, there's there, they always, they also allow you to have almost uh, free to opt into new, mostly I'd say almost all the time. It's like when there's a new DSP that comes, yeah. all you get, you can just go, I just go in and I add it manually, but they're all free. And, you you know, have to add new DSPs manually. I think they have a, they have some way to add, do it automatically, cool. but I, but uh, I think you might have to pay more to do it, to do it automatically. But I mean, for me, it's a pain kind of because I got 15 things to click on or whatever, but uh, it takes a couple seconds. They so. alert you though, right? Like, Hey, opt in for this. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they'll, I mean, I don't know. I'm not always read, you know, reading every email they send or whatever, or all every new announcement sure. or whatever. But when I go there and I look at my, you know, I, I, sorry. I, when I look at my, uh, you know, I look at my balance or whatever it is, or my bank state, this, this statement, they call it the bank, district kid bank. I'm going there anyway, all the time. And I'm looking at my stuff. So, you know, the, I see that and, and, and they show it and you just select the new ones and you add them. Like I remember when TikTok, when they added TikTok or when they added Instagram and stuff in that, and then I'd see it, you know, and right. I'd see it the next week and then people start using it. Yeah. And now Instagram is doing a lot better now with that stuff where people, when they embed my songs, it automatically gives attribution. That's great. Like it'll, and they can click on it and it links up to that account or, or uh, ideally everything will get, I'm hoping that everything is getting to the point where it's all smart and it knows every song is, you know, like with TikTok, they have a sound library and people can, you know, you can, and that's essentially, I mean, that's why they did it. I mean, from my, from an outsider perspective, it seems, you know, TikTok would did it first, you know, for that. And it was great because I get to, I was able to search my music on TikTok and see what everyone was doing. Right. And it's super cool. And I knew that it was being accounted for. I knew that it was being, that credit was there. I knew that it was being collected. I knew that. And same thing with Instagram now. So it's great because I definitely have seen that with creators using my music in videos in their stories or in their videos or whatever it is. And there's just, you know, and, and again, like they, they're, they're constant creators. It's like sometimes, sometimes you forget you know, sometimes you, you know, and it's, and it's tough, but when, when Instagram already knows and automatically does it and says, yeah, this is this song by this person, you know, that's amazing. It makes everyone's life easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you get paid by DistroKid? Like something that was really frustrating with TuneCore is you had to go in and pay yourself. So I've uh, started working with musicians sometimes and um, we, you know, we get all their, stuff and uh, we log into their tune core and there's thousands of dollars in there because they forgot to log in and pay themselves so is DistroKid automatic or how does that work uh i, I pay myself i go in and i with you, you essentially go and withdraw to your paypal right so so that's the same it's the same yeah and it is a paypal fee it's actually like cheaper than like if you were to buy goods and services on paypal which i'm confused to uh, as to why but i'm not gonna i mean i'm not uh, complaining but it's a 1% of the withdrawal fee 
or 1% fee of whatever the whatever money you're withdrawing or $2, whichever one is lower. Or and maybe, I, oh wait, no, I'm getting that mixed around. It's either, it's a 2% or $1. Uh, and so, yeah, and I would have to do that manually on TuneCore too. They still are collecting things like, and I took everything off. I'm like, how are you still, and I, how are you still collecting on these songs that are not on your thing and it's still adding and they're still, it blows me away, but that's, but, uh, Zoe, Ke- sorry to interrupt, but Zoe Keating addressed that in the forward episode, I believe. Um, she's like, I still, she's like iTunes match or something. I can't move out of TuneCore. That is literally there forever. Mm. So. Yeah. So it's just another thing I have to go and like, and yeah, but they connected with Payoneer now. So like they at least have a better payout. Yeah. I, I like that better. It's kind of a little, they have more fees too, where it's, it, they added where, with TuneCore. It's like, I mean, now that it's just collecting little bits, like I still get, I look in like every few months, it's like another few dollars. And so I'm just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to wait until this withdrawal is worth it. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that. I guess that's why, and that's maybe one excuse to do it manually. But my point in asking that is, if you use DistroKid, make sure you go in and pay yourself. Because it sounds like it's the same problem oh, yeah. as TuneCore. DistroKid is on my, in my browser shortcuts. And <laughs> it's one of the regular things I check. Yeah. You're like, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? When right. Can- but I do think, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't research this in advance. I'm at and was on Twitter, and I will share if I'm wrong on this. But I, I think CD Baby does pay automatically. So yeah. I think the, the I get the going in and paying yourself because there is the fee thing. I think it's also because the, the payments are more of. sporadic too of like what comes right. in when and when and what are the big payments and what are they are it's like well when are they going to decide to pay you will they pay you know and i don't know to me it's like i'd rather wait to a certain point until like okay now this all the spotify stuff's in now i can withdraw whereas if it withdrew at the same time every every month i might have to wait till that next month to get that yeah. payment right so i can pay my rent or whatever it is yeah so yeah I, you kind of got to be on top of it but it definitely uh and it would be nice to set up an automatic. Totally. Control. That's all I'm saying. I just want to remind people, okay, if you're working with DistroKid, just make sure you pay yourself or, or TuneCore. But I think we kind of pointed out that TuneCore undercuts them price-wise. Um, but yeah, don't forget to pay yourself. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I... You're going to automatically pay them every, every year? Like... I don't I don't forget. Make sure. <laughs> I know, but it, I mean, we'll cover this more in the revenue stream. Um, but I'm self-managed, so it's, it's it might be... Maybe it's different or something. Right. It, uh, there's a lot of managers that have bought this book and sub- subscribe to this podcast. Cause what I was going to say is in the revenue, revenue stream chapter, uh, and we'll do an episode on this, um, revenue stream checklist. Uh, um, there's a, there's a million, they're, they're all different, right? It's just like, okay, you know, uh, sound exchange is automatic. PRO is automatic, but I have to go in and get my distro kit. And it, it, it's just, I just want to remind you, just go, pay yourself on DistroKid regularly. Set a Cal reminder, a calendar reminder or whatever you need to do. Don't don't forget that you have money. Yeah, my calendar reminder is, oh, I'm going to have to pay rent in a few days. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's my, usually my calendar. Awesome. Okay, so um, just to wrap up this part of the conversation, uh, I mean, I love how you distribute music. So you release an album every year on your birthday, April 27th. And when do you launch your pre-order for that, your fundraiser? Um, I do it. After, Roughly. I usually after Halloween. Okay. So you launch your pre-order for your April album. It's about six months. Ahead. In November. So you are monetizing your April album album for, um, like you said, almost six months. And then on your birthday, um, I mean, 
I, well, I was going to say maybe you should explain it, but I just want to make sure this gets, gets across to people. It's, it's available for free on your birthday. Your fans know that. You do a webcast, listening party, stuff like that. But then as far as the DSPs go, the di- digital service providers, which are Spotify, Apple Music, and all of that, tell us about your strategy there. Yeah. I mean, so the pre-order starts then because, I mean, I'm on a yearly cycle and it's, it's you got to do it. I mean, I don't know. There's only 12 months in the year. <laughs> so the the DSP strategy, yeah, I released an out. So I released an album every year, yeah. But then last year, last year with my album Cultivation from 2020, uh, I was releasing two songs at a time to test that out. Be like, oh, I wonder what the difference is if I release them. And I was like, well, on Spotify and on, stuff, because again, the album is available in full. Yeah, so if someone wants to listen to it, they can go on my site and download it and listen to it and all that jazz, and they can listen to the whole thing, and they can. And, you know, or, or, you know, if they were, if they, if they were pre-ordered or, you know, or if they gave any little bits, I'll email them the link to the MP3 and stuff. And so they can just download them. Um, but if anyone wants to listen to it on Apple or iTunes or, or Spotify or whatever, yeah, then, then basically I release each song three weeks apart from each other. So, I, you know, roughly once a month, um, song a month. So I'm going to be releasing my songs basically until the next fundraiser starts again, which is amazing. <laughs> and then it'll just be, then it'll start and then it just goes again and again and again, we'll see how long that lasts. But, uh, but yeah, so that's the strategy that I've done this year and it makes a, and I started it last year, but the reason why I'm really now, and I really push people now, whenever I hear when they're asking me about uh, release strategies is I really tell everyone, make sure you release one song at a time on the DSPs. It's like, I know, I really know, trust me, that albums are awesome. Like, and You release one a year. And I'm an al- I love listening to, to albums. Even like my favorite artists, I listen to their albums. I don't listen to their singles. I've always done that. And I, I really do think that that, that form is, is really an awesome way to make music. Um, it's a little bit more long form of like making an album, but yeah, I really, I really advocate that for people just because every time I release a song and pitch it to Spotify and on the artist.spotify.com, you know, that tune that, uh, district kid will give you a verified account, help, help you get a verified account, uh, where you can get the blue check. So does CD baby. Yeah. I think that's almost all of them do. A lot yeah. Of now the all of them do. But, but I know district kid was ahead of the game. A lot of that stuff. Sure. And, uh, I got, I was, I did that like maybe over like two years ago, right. As soon as I got on really, uh, I was able to do that. Uh, but it's just really how, how, it, how the algorithms reward you, uh, is to release them at least two or three weeks ahead. And you get time to promote each single, uh, I call it the slow trickle. <laughs> it's essentially just like, you know, you work, you could work three years on an amazing album, right? It's, it's freaking amazing. It's like, you know, top, it's gorgeous art, just beautiful. You spend all this time and resources on it, you do all this work, and then you just release it all at one in one day. And yet in, and to me, what what the big difference is why I advocate doing it single by you know single like, and I would say yeah, release the release the album, you know for for sure, put it on your website, give it to specific fans that purchased it ahead of time. 
exactly. uh, you know, that, that gave you their emails and gave you some skin to, you know, put some skin in the game so you can give it to them. And that's great. And people love albums and they will always love it. Like I do. Uh, well, maybe, I don't know who about always, but, uh, but the reason I do it uh, single by single is because last year I would look and I released them twice so I could see, I could really see uh, the impact. Uh, so I, I released two songs at a time and each song that I pitched to Spotify was then put on algorithmic playlists and the release radar algorithmic playlist or like discover weekly um, things where all of my followers on Spotify would then get an alert. Hey, this was released, but that only happens once per release. And an album can be a release or a single can be a release. So if you release a whole album, you can only pitch one song. And only one song is going to be on the release radar. So when you when you release it song by song, and you can see it, like, go on and look at my Spotify, you know, for you go on your artist.spotify or go on Chartmetric or whatever it is, you can look up and you can see, you can see on my chart and other artists as well, the bump you get each time you release something. You get a bump uh, in in your listens because of those algorithmic playlists. Each song that I release, with is is you know for, so far for this album, I'd say about seventy. Like the last one I just checked, and the last song, seventy seven percent of all the listens is from the algorithmic algorithmic playlists. Yeah, you know, and of course, you could do huge campaigns and that you know totally. to, to try to get organic traffic to go there and stuff. Um, uh, but when you release it song by song and, you know, the reason what I, the reason that really put me in the position to be like, all right, no, I'm going to do it song by song instead of two songs at a time was because last year when I did it two songs at a time, the songs that I didn't pitch have, it's like night and day. It's a significantly different start to the, the life of that song. And the songs that got that boost end up doing way better in the long run, just because you get the first good out of the gate. A good, a good bump out of the gate and then Spotify will treat it better. People, more people will see it. They share it more. It's just the nature of, of it's the nature of the algorithms. It's the nature of virality. It's like the, when you get that initial boost, you know, it doesn't mean that it, it can't get a huge boost later and it can't be on playlists and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but it definitely helps to get that initial boost. So, you know, I just felt when I looked at that and I see, I'd be able to compare the two songs releasing at the same time and seeing like, wow, that song that I didn't pitch, I really like that song. And that's a really good song. And I think, and it's sad that not as many people didn't hear it. And that's kind of, that's kind of, I don't know. I felt, I felt like, ah, oh, well, I'm missing out on something there. And so then this year I do it song by song, um, one at a time. And so I, I advocate that for people to just focus on that as part of their release strategy is to be putting three, putting songs three, three weeks apart. And the reason it's three weeks is because Spotify. And it's really this is really almost tailoring to almost specifically towards Spotify, um, uh, and I know that Apple does similar things and stuff too, and Deezer and they help similar things. But Spotify is really the focus of what I've been using this for, um, and they want at least two weeks for them to consider your song for an editorial playlist, which is like money. That's real money. That's holy like, grail. That's the holy grail. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's if you're an artist and you can get on an editorial playlist, then congrats. We just had an artist get get that. Great. And I was like, oh, Kala gets really excited about that. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, I mean, you, you, you can get a song from being, you know, having a few thousand plays to a few million. Yeah. You know, just overnight. Totally. Like that's, that's. I think she had like 
I mean, I'm sure it's way more now, but like a hundred thousand in a day or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I actually on a CD baby conference, I saw there's an artist and I can't remember his name. Um, it was a few years ago at this point, but he's a classical guitarist, instrumentalist, make instrumental guitar music in his bedroom. And this was at the early, earlier in the stages of playlists and Spotify. His and he, out of his own admission, he's like, I'm an okay guitarist. Like I'm okay. I'm not like amazing. I'm just doing this for fun in my, in my room. Uh, but all, almost all of his energy was playlists. Right. Focused almost entirely on playlists. And it blew me away because he was talking about how he got onto one play, one editorial playlist and how his life changed in just in that moment Mm -hmm. and how easier it was then to get on other editorial playlists. Right. Once you're on one. And for his specific, you know, type of instrumental guitar music, he was able to get on like chill focus or something, <laughs> you know, or whatever it yeah. is, some editorial place. And there's, those are millions and millions and millions of people that, yeah. that see those editorial, Spotify prioritizes those editorial playlists. And, uh, and so that, that really made me like understand like, oh, Spotify's algorithms uh, are really need to be taken, uh, taken into account. And. I also do think it's good for just all, all, all of, uh, all of the pl- digital platforms, not just, not just, not just DSPs, but also Instagram, and TikTok, and Facebook, and YouTube, and all these things. When you release regular content, once a, you know, once a month, you're releasing a single. Mm-hmm. That's just more and more opportunities for people to be exposed to to what is that you're creating and what is that you're doing. Because when you release one, you know, like I said spend three, four years on a beautiful album and then you drop it once and you spend all, then you're just playing a lot of catch up. You might end up doing that anyway, going song by song. Right. And like telling people, you know, if you really wanted to do a a campaign to like try to promote it, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd be doing this, you know, and that's, I mean, so it's a different, it's, it's just a strange, weird, I don't know. For me, it's weird because I like the albums, but it just is what it is. And it's just like, all right, well, I guess that's how they want me to do it. And I, and I just, I, I didn't want to compromise to be like, no, I do albums. Right. No, I do albums. So then this direct to fan pre-order thing made me realize, oh, wait, no, this actually plays into that model much uh, in like it, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's like, you don't have to release an out, al- you know, you don't have to release only an album or only singles. Yeah. You can do both. Let the people who put, who fronted money, buy the stuff. Exactly. Give them the album. They're the ones who care anyway. You know, that, that or and if and if people really want to consume the album, then they'll do that. Or guess what? They're gonna have to wait. Until and that is, and people say, Oh, when when's this song? It's like, well, you have to wait. It's on my site. Go there and Yeah, exactly. And and, and it's a site there. that you own, that you collect data on. Right. And I and I can I yeah, and I can and, and they can put their email in and get the album if they exactly. want. You know, uh and so, yeah. Is that, that what people have to do to get your album for free on your site? No, they don't. <laughs> would it be nice if they did? It would be nice. I give them a, I give them a thing to say, hey, donate. I, I consider that. A prompt. You know, uh, yeah, they get a prompt. Be like, hey, please, you know, give me a, give me a donation for this. Um, I, I have always considered that. But I just see how many people listen and, 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 and yeah. get it there. And I'm just like, eh, I don't know. Like, they're going to enjoy it. Right. And 
it's not, it's honestly, if it was like the majority of people would be doing that on my site, I don't know. I, that's something that I, you know, maybe it'll change over time. Well, and a lot of but, those people, you might already have their email addresses. It's like they, you know, they're super fans. They pre-ordered it. Like, yeah, I mean, and that's and that's the thing about having that album and releasing it. It's like, well, I've already collected a lot of the people that were interested in in it, and I do still collect emails in other ways and stuff. And yeah, that you know, I probably could incorporate that better into my site where it's like at least like suggesting or encouraging people to do it, or like if you sign up, you get the bonus thing with the demos or you know, whatever it is. It's like. You know, the model is always like give them something for free that intrigues them to bring them to the real, to the big thing. Yeah. You know, the, the, and that's how I feel like releasing the singles uh, once every, right. releasing them as singles every, every three weeks is kind of like, well, yeah, if you want to get the full thing, then you got to go to the place where I will, I will be able to at least have a direct, a direct connection to that person yeah. on my side. And again, so just to recap that, you have an April 27th release date every single year. You begin your pre-order in November. You're monetizing, you know, running that pre-order fundraiser from November basically through April. The album is available. Well, till I, yeah, through March 1st, basically. That's, why? Well, because if, if I kept doing the pre-orders, then I... Well, the reason why I do that is because I have tiers of associate and executive producers... And the executive producers get a shout out on the song. Right. And, oh, and you need to make the song. And the vinyl needs to come out in a reasonable time. And all the, and all the artwork, like in the CD packaging and on the vinyl packaging are the associate producers' names. So like if I don't, if I, like pre-order ends, but then like the pre-order fundraiser ends with all the tiers and yeah. stuff. But then there's a, you know. And they get all the better deals. They get all yeah. the best stuff. They get, they. For ordering early. For ordering early. Um. But then, yeah, people could just like, you know, they can they can buy things after that if they wanted to. But usually I wait um, until later and then I'll be like, okay, yeah, now you can now people can order the vinyl or whatever it is. Try to give priority to all the fun, yeah. all the all the fundraiser. You know, but yeah, I ended March because of all the that makes sense. because of the merchandise constraints. Yeah. And logistics. The, yeah. The logistics are like, well, this year vinyl is taking like seven months <laughs> yeah, or something crazy COVID delays. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if but when that happens, you know, communication is queen and you just need to communicate that with your audience. Like, Hey, this is what's happening. What because it's when, emails. it's when the fans, it's why you have their emails. Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. It's like it, when the, it's when the fans don't hear from you, it's just like, Hey, what's going on with this? But when you do, yeah, I should send out another email on my email. <laughs> <laughs> so again, so you do five months of pre-order fundraiser, the album is out on your site, you know, the next month in April. Yeah. And then five then, months of the slow trickle. Then you start releasing each track to the DSPs and then the full album will be out in September. Hopefully you get on the DSPs, even though it's on your site the whole time. And then hopefully you give yourself a break in October and then you start it all over again in November. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the breaks. That's like 10 solid months of actively monetizing a release instead of like. Exactly. Okay, it's out. So here's the drop. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> right. It's like, well, wait, you want to be a musician full time, right? You want to do this. It's like, well, we should engage. And it's like, I don't know. It seems counterintuitive for a lot of people, maybe because they think like, oh, well, the music's about my feeling and it's about the art and it's about that stuff. And it's like, you can try to monetize your strategy all day and all this and all that stuff and have all these, all these different ways of like, yeah, 10 months of pure monetization. But if you have a if you have an album that's not inspired and it's not fun and people don't care and they, and you don't care, 
and like, you know, and it's just, you know, and, and it's not, or let's say you don't, you haven't done the work to make your art, well, your chapter one, right? Get your art together. If you don't have, if you don't have that, you can monetize all day, but you know, it, it, it still will ruin, you know, you're not going to get that fulfillment of what you need as an artist. And that is to create the art that is meaningful and intentional and honest and stuff. And, and that's, and that's the tough part with me. It's like where I've, you know, part of, part of why I've, uh, part of why I'm able to monetize this stuff for 10 months at a time or whatever, as you described is because I've had 10 years of, <laughs> well, at this point more like 15 years now of, of working on the art for myself. And that's really what it is. It's like working on art. And I, so I felt confident in it at a certain point where it was more like everyone being like, seeing the, seeing the, uh, the, the comments and not replying to them of everyone being like, wow, this is great. Like never stop. Don't like, keep going, keep doing this. It's like, wow. Okay. Maybe there's something here. And now it's like, okay, well now I'm a musician and this is my career. Now I can talk about strategies and, and, right. and, and doing release strategies and effective ways to do it. But a lot of musicians that I know, they have great art. And, you know, this, so that's, you know, this is directed towards those people, the people that, you know, they already have have that figured out. You know, you could think about saving 50 bucks here, monetizing this all day and all this stuff. But if you're not making art that matters, that is, is that has meaning to you or, or people around you, then, I mean, then, then, then you're not really an artist. I don't think at that point you're, you know, like I, Maybe maybe that's harsh to say, but I don't know. I'm sure there might be people who manufacture pop songs who disagree with you. It's just like, well, no, this is what I I might not my heart and soul. Yeah, but they're manufacturing it for. I mean, yeah, that's like that's a whole matter. There's like 20 artists, 20 writers on one song, and right? They're already past the point of well, how do we make a meaningful song? Sure. Like they're literally like, no, fun, our job is to make the most. The you know make yeah make make the make the song that everyone will be able to like, will be able to. So I think that they, they, you know, they, you could have a pop song that is, is very intentional. Mm-hmm. So pop isn't just all bad, you know, like, but uh, like, I, I don't know. I like a lot of pop, pop, pop Absolutely. Stuff. but there that's, if you're, if you're making platinum hits, then you're not worrying about, I don't know. <laughs> You're in a different level, like, and you probably don't need to listen to this podcast or, or, or read the book. If or, you are. or you do even more because you need to fundamentally understand this stuff when some of that stuff goes away. Yeah, maybe. So just to um, wrap up the aggregator stuff, um, I have a few additional thoughts. Um, as we talk about throughout the podcast, it's always great if you can find a human at any of these companies, you know, if you're working with mm. DistroKid or CD Baby. But also don't fret if you don't. Um, we definitely covered that in the PRO chapter, you know, um, or the PRO, PRO chapter and episode. Um, PROs have, you know, thousands and thousands of songwriters. Um, DistroKid and CD Baby have tons and tons of artists. At the same time, I've had a lot of success um, working with humans at CD Baby um, and TuneCore over the years. I've clearly never worked with DistroKid before because I heard, heard from you all. Um, so, you know... Guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, if you can connect with a human, you know, at a conference, at a, you know, Zoom, uh, you know, webinar thing or whatever, um, great. But um, don't don't stress if you can't. Um, I, I tried really hard to get someone from DistroKid um, to talk to me. Uh, I mean, I'm very happy to have Kula on this episode. Um, I'll represent DistroKid. You are. You're a DistroKid artist. <laughs> and you were like, DistroKid's so great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, for six months, I, I tried to get someone, I tried to get official talking points. Um, doesn't, that's not a reflection on them in any way, but I'm pointing that out for the bigger picture. If you're like, I really want a human at ASCAP. I really want, you know, it's just like, don't be too hard on yourself. Like I technically know people there. I have a million colleagues in common there. I did intros. I tried every which way. And just sometimes you can't always connect with people. So, um, my point is, if you can connect with a human at any of these companies, amazing, but don't be too hard on yourself like I am if, <laughs> if you can't. And then, you know, you just have to figure out like a workaround, right? Like I'm, I love everything that you said, you know, like as far as this topic and, and how you distribute music and, um, you know, I've had to figure out workarounds with releasing my book. I've had to figure out workarounds, you know, with this podcast that happens all the time to artists. So anyway, my, my point is, um, you know, try to find humans at these places when you can. Um, don't be too hard on yourself when, um, if, if you, if you can't find any humans there. Um, and then also all of these distributor or aggregators, uh, almost all of them, especially, uh, well, especially CD, but almost all of them have publishing administration. And I've talked about this a lot where there's a really attractive box to check. That's like, want to make more money and who wouldn't be like, yes, check that box. And, I really encourage you to collect on your music publishing via song trust, as opposed to through your um, aggregator slash music distributor, even though I know that song trust is the back end for CD baby, because it's really nice to have your music publishing catalog housed all in one place with song trust or a music or a regular, you know, quote unquote, regular music publisher. Um, because if you, distribute through CD, CD baby, and you check that box and then your next release is through DistroKid. And then maybe you're with an indie label. Suddenly you have your publishing catalog all over the place and we're trying to streamline things for people. So, um, so those are my thoughts on public publishing administration stuff. And then also at this point in the book, um, this is where I remind you to sign up, sign up for sound exchange, uh, while you're distributing your music. Um, so head over to sound exchange. That's how you're, you're going to get your roy royalties from, um, I've got the official, oh, non-interactive internet radio. Uh, and that's going to be your Pandora Sirius XM where you can't pick the songs directly. So go sign up, uh, for sound exchange at this point in the process of the podcast and the book. And that's really everything I have to say about aggregators, but, um, I want to dig in so the audience can get to know you a little bit more color and take you through. Um, your career through the lens of the book, which we've done uh, with uh, quite a few artists. And um, we don't have it. We've been talking a lot, so we should probably go through the, the entire music industry yeah, in 20 minutes or so. Easy. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. Chapter one, get your art together. What does that mean to you? Uh, it means having... Get your art together means having honest, intentional art that speaks to you as an artist. I love it. That's it. Amazing. You don't even need to read the chapter. Like I really yeah, think, cause that's, that's, that's the point of, of that. I mean, you should read the chapter, but that's... I mean, there's a more to it and practice a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. And practice a lot, a lot. Yes. A lot, like, yeah, just practice a lot. Cool. Chapter two, pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club and, and social media. I mean, we kind of covered a lot yeah, of that because yeah. that's very much your, pre-order your fundraiser um i know you really enjoyed the that was the ariel hyatt episode as well you're great at social media i mean you're really active really genuine you get back to fans so yeah any comments on getting that stuff in place before release yeah i mean i could add on like like i said i wasn't replying to any comment 
uh, at a certain point, you know, and then when I switched to, to being a musician full time and like really considered myself that and called myself that and then like really pursued that. And I reply to everything. Yeah. As, as, almost everything. Right. You can't reply to everything. But if you, if you're, if you're able to, you know, like obviously, you know, obviously I, maybe I get in a position where I can't and yeah. maybe that's a good thing yeah. because I don't have enough time. Totally. Uh, but for certain things, especially for your fundraising and your, your, the really important things, the albums and the single releases and all those things or shows or things that you, like, it makes a big difference, even if it's just the thanks or, a, or, a, or, you know, just interacting with people. Uh, that's huge. But the, yeah, the pre-order. Yeah. We kind of touched upon, upon all that stuff. Yeah, the, definitely. Cause you, you do it very social media is it's, you know, it's definitely relevant, but it can be, it can be really exhausting. Oh, a hundred percent stuff. And that, that's yeah. Well, how do you balance that? I mean, do you put limits on yourself? Like how do you balance that in life? Like, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely go in, in phases, you know, depending on the time, the time of the year. Right. right. I, I'm like bound to a yearly cycle and I really do approach social media as part of my business. Not as like, I don't really use it that often for personal Stuff sure. like, I, I just don't, I used to before I started doing music full time. And now I just, I don't know. I, there's times where I'll catch myself scrolling and just being like, you know, what do I call it? Doom scrolling or, or whatever it is where it's just every, every, every swipe, you just get a worse feeling of dread and, sure, FOMO, yeah. and FOMO and all this stuff, totally. especially on Instagram. And, and it's just like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh wait, no, I'm using this as a tool to connect people to so they can go to my site so I can get their emails yeah. and I can, you know, that, that's really why I view social media as is just ways to communicate with the fans where they are um, and to inevitably bring them to my site. Great. Amazing. Into the fundraiser. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> yes. A, into the direct to fan. I do a lot of, of social media during the fundraiser. <laughs> you're trying to direct, you're trying to drive that traffic to the fundraiser. Right. It's site. like, what's the point? What's yeah. the purpose? You got to think about it. Like if it's not serving you, it's not serving a purpose. If you have, you can have all the social media platforms and you have like no one on TikTok and you spend, you know, you could grow it and you can grow it. But if you already have some, if you only have so many hours in the day and you have everyone on Facebook, you know, not the worst to just spend most of your time on Facebook. And you're good um, at getting um, out in nature and finding some balance as well. So. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can. I'm on the computer too long, but yeah, we can. Super important. Chapter three: Get your business affairs together and fair compensation. We actually covered a lot of this. Um, you know, as far as you know, you releasing your music uh, for free with Creative Commons att- attributions. Um, yeah. Any comments on this? Or I, I know you. Um, Enjoyed the Don Passman episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's something that I'm learning more and more because I've I've been releasing all this music under and I own both sides, like I mentioned. Um, and that's usually because I have no writers splits because yeah. I'm writing everything. Uh, so that I haven't really had to have. Like there's been like there's been like this last year, uh, you know, there's been work for hires that I've done with some with people that just wanna, you know, wanna hop on a trumpet on this track or something yeah. or play one play something on a track that, that I composed. Uh, but that's been about it in terms of like working with people and co-writing. And uh, that's, I think the thing that I see just everywhere, at least in the Milwaukee scene is no one, no one doing that chapter. Like no one, Mm. no one even being aware of what a, what's the difference between the work for hire and a co-write. Right. And 
you know, and that's something that I, you know, you kind of just have what to. What is the difference? It, well, I guess it is whatever you agree upon. Like a work for hires is something where you can, I like, for example, I have some songs, this last album, um, I basically pay a small fee or whatever fees, you know, uh, a fee. It doesn't have to be always small, but, uh, you know, a fair rate to whatever musician is basically comes on as a session musician, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And uh, it's essentially, I give you this much money and whatever comes out of this, the song that you yeah. do uh, for the song, it's oh, I it maintains to be part of that mass recording that I own. That's right. Whereas a co-write is no, we both are going to split this the writing, you know, of of this master recording, and we're going to be able to of the songwriting, not the master recording. Right. This we're both publishing that. And actually, again, just to recap for the audience, um, there's two main rights in music. There's the master recording side, and you own that. And then there is the songwriting slash publishing yeah. side. You have written almost all of your songs by yourself, but you're starting to explore more, co- more co-writes. Yeah. So, like for example, I met with this uh, this rapper. Shouts out to Joey uh, Dad. Is his name? His rapper name. It's great. And and I kind of approached him, being like, "Yeah, I want to like work." He's very creative. He's the type of guy that he's a rapper, so it's not really that often you would maybe do a work for hire with a rapper. I guess I feel like that would be kind of. Bad they're well, maybe weird. if they're making beats well, or something. He's a rapper, so he's so he's writing words. Right. So yeah, that's definitely songwriting. So when you're writing words, it's songwriting. Yeah. It's and so he's writing lyrics. So that's that's so I kinda like was learning. I went to him and we I had a work for hire and I was like, Yeah, let's like do something like this. And you know, he's a, and and then as we were going into it, it's just like this isn't the same thing that we just agreed upon. Yeah. This isn't feeling like that. And then we both felt You're not hiring him to I mean you, your intention was not to hire him to rap. Your intention was, hey, let's collaborate. Let's create right. a song So when together. people say, hey, man, let's collab. Oh, yeah, let's collab, like, bro. What does that mean? Yeah, what yeah. does that mean? Is that a work for hire? Is that a this? And so then after that. And sorry to interrupt, just to simplify it. I, to me, it's very simple on what that means. It's like, it seems like on the master recording side, it's a session musician, right? I'm hiring a bass player. I'm hiring yeah. a drummer. But then obviously in the songwriting side, that's a, um, that's a song split. That's co-writing. Right. So. So then let's say you write two people co-write. Then who owns the master recording? Um, whoever paid for the recording of the session, right? Whoever is what I would say. Whoever pays for the engineers, or what exactly. if what if so if they split the that too, then they would split the master recording. Um, that would be between them, yeah. but they but you know you they could. could do that absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah, so that that's one thing that I'd like to at least like the one thing that I've learned over the last year, partially like you know being exposed to your book and your podcast and stuff, is learning that a little bit more, and then seeing how pervasive the ignorance of that. Right. Very simple concept is amongst, at least amongst my peers. Um, and, you know, and I would imagine it, 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 you could extrapolate it out to the whole world and to the whole, at least the country because of the laws that we're under in America. But Well, we have listeners in 115 countries, so. Right. So I would imagine it's, you know, if you're working in, you know, most people, if you're working under American companies and aggregators and all this stuff, you know, I don't know what the... I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know how, how songwriting and, and publishing and mass recordings are in like all the other rest of the countries, but I imagine they're comparable in some ways, at least in some modern nations and things. But, but yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's the only thing I would add to that was just, yeah, just to understand the difference between uh, a co-write and a work for hire and don't be afraid of work for hires. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, I was hesitant at first, but I, you know, 
but then as soon as I started doing it, it's like, well, I, I like people are doing this anyway. Like, yeah. like people are, people are doing Completely this constantly. Standard. People yeah. are doing this constantly. They're like, oh, hey, come on my track and we'll just put your name on it. I'm just like, well. Yeah. And then when that track becomes huge and like wins Grammys and stuff, um, then, you know, I, obviously you always want, you know, it sucks when relationships go this way, but then suddenly that session player is like, hey, I, pl- I played on that. Like, I don't, right. you know, like. So you need to yeah. get, you know, and it's just get your ducks in a it's, row. This, the work for hires are simple. You can find, you can find them, you know, really the work for hire is a term that's in U.S. legal code. That's why I bring up the U.S. because like we're talking about specific relationships yeah. between employers and employees and all this stuff and get down, with the, you know, I'm sure Don would know much more about it. Read his book, but. Uh, you haven't read it yet. No, but, <laughs> but there's, you know, just Google and, and things, but, yeah. but the. I would say, yeah, it's, it's, don't be afraid of it. Offer, offer something. Yeah. Don't, you know, if you can compensate for something, I know everybody is, you know, even if it's just a case of beer and you write it on your, <laughs> and you write it on the work for hire, like you give it, for, you know, I'll give you a case Are you of from beer. from Milwaukee? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, it's pretty much a, a medium of exchange, but yeah, don't be afraid of those. And, and I feel much better about things when I'm doing that. I feel more comfortable. We get that away. We get that squared away before the sessions. We just do it. Everyone, like guys that I know and have played with in, in the past so many times, everyone, you know. And gals. And gals too, yeah. But lots lots of folks that, that are ready to just, uh, ready to play. But yeah, it's better to get your affairs in order before. I've also never heard of anyone co-owning a master. I guess you could technically do that. But if you did that, similar to a co-write, you're going to want your co-owner of the master to sign off on everything in advance because that's going to hurt sync chances. That's going to... It's just going to be what? Like, yeah, well, exactly. Like, how do you even what? Right, but... DistroKid isn't going <laughs> to... doesn't have master recording splits. Right, exactly. You know, like... But songwriting, that happens all the time. And if you're a session player, you know, I, I, let me put this more in um, from your perspective. Uh, if you're an artist hiring session musicians, I think it's really important to get coffee or whatever before and be like, if you feel like you right. contributed to writing on a song, you have to bring that up in the moment, which nobody wants to do. And I totally understand. Or immediately after the session, because right. otherwise that that can breed resentment. Yeah. And that's totally fair. You know, like that's a, that's a really important point for us. Like sometimes it does go beyond that, but that's honestly the point of the work for hire. It's like, right. And, th- and that's the thing is, well, if you, you know, if you, if it's work for hire, oh yeah, I'm work for hire. But I mean, this has happened to me before where I didn't know about that stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, Kate Cola, come work for hire for this track. Oh, we just have a beat. I literally write all the melodies, like so many melodies and all the words and everything. And I, you know, I get 200 bucks and it's just like, and that was, to me, it was like, sweet. This is the first time getting paid to right. do this thing where it's like, oh, wait, well, I just gave away all my, all my a new work publishing. Yeah. Well, like for 200 bucks, which is like, well, I don't know. But the tr- I thought it was a cool song. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, hmm. But I mean, I haven't heard it, but that's just, I mean, that just comes from my lack of understanding of what's going on. And like at the time, it was years and years ago, you know, and now, you know, I remember being like, hey, this contract, like, it doesn't even say that I'm going to have my name on it. Can you add? And you go, oh, yeah, we'll add that. It's like, okay, all right. Well, at least now I've got my name on this. Zoe Keating said the exact same thing in, in episode yeah. two. Like a filmmaker had her, well, you, you can listen to it. But what we're saying here is if someone is bringing you in to play a part, to sing a part or whatever, that's a work for hire. Get, you know, paid your cash for that. They're going to own the master recording. But if you come in and you compose, 
that is songwriting and you need like, credit and yeah, it needs to be registered with your PRO and, and all those things. Especially just, especially lyrics. If you're writing any lyrics, you know, unless there's a other agreement or like, you know, that's, there's some special situation or something where you are like a work for hire composer or you're work for hire. And that know. totally exists. And people, you know, there's but usually you get a lot more money up front. Though. Right. Exactly. Cause then it's worth it. Or yeah. it's like, and that's usually like write a jingle or. Right. Um, not necessarily like one's own creative art. So the next chapter, I, I tend to generally skip over this when I'm kind of interviewing people through the lens of the book, but how to record with or without a budget, because I do feel like the audience tends to know how to do that. At the same time, how old were you when you started like recording and figuring this stuff out? Five. I mean, I don't know. Like as soon as there was a, as soon as we had a microphone. Yeah. As soon as there was a microphone. And it, I remember I was recording songs out of a built-in uh, a giant monitor, like one of those CRT monitors, you know, talking about the big, I know, but I'm sure people do. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the, yeah, like one of those huge monitors that were really deep and super heavy, you know, before flat screen. Sure. The, the stuff before flat screen. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's really deep yeah. <laughs> and it's all, I'm pretty sure they're like, uh, yeah. It's, I would say like, like fat. Like more than, I know what you mean by deep, but I'm just like, oh yeah, those things were huge. They're deep. And so I had one that had just a a basic microphone built into the monitor and that was, you know, and that's what I used. And I just started singing songs, coming up with funny, you know, I started making improv comedy songs and stuff. That was the first things that I was starting to do, composing things when I was very, very, very little. And those, those will never see the light. Although I do have them archived. So maybe one day. They will. That's one of those things where it's like, maybe when I'm dead, it'll be released five years after posthumously. posthumously oh, that'd be a cool thing. Though. Or when I'm older enough, when I have enough you know, years of where it's like, eh, all right. You'll time. do an NFT of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, An NFT of all the deep cuts where no one wants to hear those things. No one wants to hear. I do. A, no one wants to hear a six-year-old. What? Are you literally out. six? That's crazy. I mean... I have things from 2002, 2001. I want to hear so it. So I'm not six, I'm 10. I'll but, join the paper. But I started when I was six. And I do have some, some, some things, but um, you don't, that you have the power of Abbey, Abbey studio. Abbey it, road. Abbey, yeah. Abbey road. Abbey, uh, in your, on your laptop, you know, on, like you can get a $300 computer from Facebook marketplace used. And what kind of computer do you got? I mean, I mean, be I'm just specific. Saying, I'm just yeah. saying, you can get anything. Right. Honestly, like if it runs Reaper or if it runs. You can run a fundraiser pre-order to fundraise for your $300 Facebook marketplace computer. Yeah, I know like 300 might seem like a lot, but it's like, I mean, there's so many free tools out there. Like I said, yeah. Reaper is a good DAW that's for free. Do that. I would highly recommend that to anyone getting started that doesn't want that, that is, you know, that doesn't have the money to buy FL Studio or Ableton or whatever. Reaper is very capable, and there is just countless, countless. It's it's a deep rabbit hole. You can't even you can't even find all of the free plugins that are amazing. Right, suites of plugins that that, that do all the basic things that you need for production, all the basic things, and of course a microphone. So it's like a laptop and a microphone. That's really all you need. Amazing to, to, to start. And technically, you don't even need a microphone if you're just baking, if you're making beats, or if you're making. A, electronic music or composing, you know, on the computer, you don't need it. Like 
yeah, it's it's actually incredible. It's actually insanely incredible. Yeah, agreed. Because again, what revolutionized you know the modern music industry is access to recording and access to distribution. That yeah, is what yeah. they call it the democratization of sound. Right, microchips allowed when Yamaha made the first keyboard that sure. you can sequence and do and make a drum machine. It's like game over. Yeah, game over. Record labels. Right. You know, like not. Or just freedom, right? Like more options. Like yeah, you can own your rights. Over. You don't have to. It's a new game now. You don't have to change your name to a symbol and write slave on your face. It wasn't game over. It was the completely different rules. Yeah. Like they changed the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Whole new world. Uh, chapter five, your favorite. Do you, do you have a guess? Uh, I forgot which one. What, what's chapter five? Music publishing isn't scary or confusing, oh. plus how to land a sync placement. So you did not sign up for a PRO. You're with ASCAP for a, for a long time. Can you talk about that? I, I was shocked by that. You, you are signed up now. Yeah, I'm on ASCAP now. Uh, I didn't sign up because I didn't really know what it did. Like, I really didn't know what... What does it do? It's like, oh, Performing Rights Society. Oh, I'm not a performer, so... You are a performer. Well, I wasn't at the time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I can see what that's confusing, so, yeah. So I was like, well, why Why do I need a PRO if I'm not going to be performing? Because I remember I would look and sign up for all these websites or like upload my music and be like, are you a member of a performing rights organization? And I'd be like, no. Right. I'm not a performer. I'm just making beats from so my basement. I'm just making beats from my basement. I don't yeah. even want to deal with that. It sounds like a lot. Interesting. I remember fe- that was what I was feeling at the time, you know. And I mean... That's such a good point. And, and it was, yeah. So, I mean, that was honestly, I didn't look that much into it. Like I said, with almost everything else, I didn't fully go and dive into all the stuff until 2016 or when I was like, okay, no, now. And so how long had you been releasing songs that you wrote? 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So you didn't sign up for ASCAP in the first 10 years of your career. And unfortunately, um, I believe after two years, that money goes in into the black box and just gone i'm not saying that to like bum you out you already know that but for for people that aren't signed up for for ascap and bmi i emailed ascap i asked him but i didn't follow up as much but i was like hey can you go back in time and then i never got an answer i was like hey did you get my email yeah maybe a third follow-up yeah maybe it's about time but again we this is that's a huge reason why we had uh loretta munoz on uh, of ascap on a previous episode because i was so shocked that you and a lot of songwriters i've met recently like aren't signed up for PROs or signed up really late. And I just, you know, do it. Yeah. It's, 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 it was really easy. I think, I mean, honestly it did sound exchange before I did ask. Yeah. And it's because sound exchange allows you to upload a CSV. Right. All your stuff. And I have 200 songs. Yeah. So man, I mean, honestly, that was a big thing for not doing it too. It's like, man, I have to do one by one. I got a CSV is a spreadsheet for people. Comma separated value. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, that makes it easy. I would love it if ASCAP had it. I mean, I'm sure they give tools like that to some people. But no, I, if it existed, it would be for everyone. They wouldn't be like, oh, here's our special people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they were like, think about it like that, but it's like, I feel like there's got to be. Management does it. You don't have management. Or yeah. a music publisher, which so is actually the next ASCAP step. ASCAP needs an API is what I'm saying. <laughs> ASCAP needs an API. Noted. Maybe they do. I don't think they do. Um, okay, and then music publishing. How do you collect on your music publishing? I use Song Trust. Yay! <laughs> I do. But I mean, full disclosure, like you, I didn't use them until recently. You, that was a missing revenue stream for you. It was you a huge missing revenue when stream. we met, and I was like, "Oh, you should sign up for this," and there was money there for you. Well, because you asked, <clears throat> you asked about 
publishing, but then you mentioned the PRO, right? But yeah, I mean, no, I'm going to see if I can get this right. All right. But when you sign up for ASCAP, those are your performing rights things. So it's like, that's when these things get performed, right? Around, yeah. but that's not the writing. Yeah. There's that's, more revenue that's not streams. The publishing, even though they say, Oh, what's your, like, I had to make two accounts, a publisher and a writer. Yep. Which is uh, totally confusing. And they and split 50-50 and I own everything and it just seems silly that I have to have two accounts. But, 100%. Um, that, that's a holdover from the pre-digital era. But it probably makes sense for other people that don't have, that don't own both sides and don't right. do that, right? Yeah. But, um, but I thought that that was publishing because I made a publisher account. Yep. It's like, oh, well then the writing is for the right, like for, you know, but it's like, but wait, this is a performing rights society. Right. So this is for performances. So it's confusing. And then when song... Then when I, you know, in your book and you're talking about song trust, then I was like, oh, that's that. And they actually did, I, from my understanding, they did go back years and collect. That's great. Collect was all Harry Fox, man. <laughs> but, Which are mechanical royalties. So they collect mechanicals. But yeah, so. Which I don't even, you only need to know what a mechanical royalty is if you are cover releasing a song that's a cover. All I'm trying to get across to you is sign up for your PRO. Sign up for a song trust to collect your music publishing. You know, this is if, if you're a songwriter. Otherwise, you're missing out on money. If you want to look at your song trust account and be like, oh, here's my mechanicals. Here's my different. Great. But I just want to teach you what music right. publishing is, which we've definitely covered in depth, and then how to collect on it. Publishing is songwriting. Correct. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so I, I just felt, uh, yeah, no, I get, be, be, I was missing out. It's very true. I was missing. I, I'm sure there's so many people that are missing out as well. So I, I was missing out on quarterly revenue. Like yeah. ASCAP and Song Trust now paid quarterly. Yeah. And it's significant. You know, yep. it's not it's not like as good as the master recording stuff on Spotify. Um, but it, you know, <laughs> don't miss out on the revenue stream. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's there and it's waiting and it's just there and they don't, they're not, they're, it's not, they're not incentivized like that's how the legal structure works. Like how so you're saying this is like a it's from a different era. Yeah. It, like the the era is it's the songwriters like this is the law though. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's me as a songwriter or a master recording rights holder to go and say give me this thing that I uh, that I am owed. Right. It's not up to them to say to find me. Yeah. And you know and that you know it, it, it seems like, well, what the heck? Well, we don't do the technology. It's like, well, no, this is from, you know, a generation ago, generations ago of the different, like, it's a completely different world. Yeah. So, and that's what people get hang up and they, everyone's yelling about Spotify and how, how, how they don't treat things fairly and stuff. It's like, well, you know, the counterpart of that is like, well, it is like the best time ever to be an artist and you can collect your master recording rights automatically you know with algorithms and all that stuff it's pretty incredible like in in some ways you know does that mean that I mean, there's plenty of room for improvement don't get me wrong but i do think with the ascap and song trust the the kind of antiquated aspects of that it's gonna it's gonna take actual legal reform right it's gonna take legal reform for that stuff to actually really change uh because people aren't gonna the, the truth of the matter is why would a, any company whose job is to collect money why would they go out of their way to, to give out more, to like let totally. go of the money that, you know what I mean? Like it's, if, if they are not legally required to, why would they? Right. 
you know, probably got, I'm sure, <clears throat> I mean, out of the kindness of their heart, I guess, but when you're, you have a fiduciary responsibility, there's, you know, kindness of the heart is usually secondary. And if you are <clears throat> interested in getting involved in, uh, uh, music policy advocacy definitely check out future of music's website future music on twitter yeah, um, they do a really great job of that a lot of room for reform yeah uh chapter six setting up your release and distribution plan we have definitely covered that in depth we are in the middle of three episodes uh literally covering that so i feel like we're good there um chapter seven how to market with or without a budget um we definitely mm. covered email social um you're exploring working with an intern for some pr pitching yeah yeah, there's a lot of people that want to want to, you know, that want to be involved in the music industry and music business. And there's a lot of people that are, I think you have a similar story, right? Where you came sure. starting as a, a starry eyed intern and had got a couple opportunities to like really get in the weeds and then be like, oh, this is, that's it. This is it. Okay. Well, I can actually do this. You know, maybe. After that's maybe. my bio. <laughs> oh, dang. This is it. <laughs> this is all it is. No, it, it, uh, yeah, use use your friends. Use your use the people that want to help. There is no music business program in Milwaukee. I um, want to change that. Any Milwaukee listeners, I would really like to start one. I sorry, <laughs> I'm from the, I'm from uh, the Milwaukee area, and I had to work my tail off in the pool to get a swimming scholarship to Northeastern University, and I have no regrets, and I'm very grateful for my path. But if I didn't have parents who are swim coaches, and I didn't have the ability to do that. Um, I mean, University of Minnesota Mankato has a really great music business program. I don't know if it would have been the fit for me because it's like three hours outside of Minneapolis and I was obsessed with like shows and I really wanted to live in a city, but, um, in Minneapolis, this twin city. Oh, sorry. This twin city. Not that I know of. I know. No. So, um, if anyone wants to start a music business program in Wisconsin, I would love to start one at UWM. <laughs> no pressure, but, um, reach out to me. Um, I, my point is, is like, yeah, I had access to a swimming scholarship, so I was able to go to a private university that had this program I wanted, but it didn't have to be so hard. Maybe I didn't have to grind it out in the pool so hard. I mean, I don't have any regrets, but I, I want to create opportunities for for people like me and um, not have them go into debt or have to, you know, blow out their shoulders or something. So not that I did. I have I have great coaches and good time. Yeah, in, so. interns or or fans like I've definitely worked with. Like while I was booking the East Coast tour in twenty twenty, rest in peace. But the, the, there's definitely fans that were like, ah, it's my dream to bring my favorite artists, like really like uh, re people who are really engaged in their scenes who don't really have that much promotion experience, but they like, they go to the shows, they have relationships with, with artists and stuff because they just love them so much. You know, if you have a fan, you know, fans in certain areas that are, have some experience with email <laughs> or are competent in email and are trustworthy, you know, and stuff, you start building relationships with them. They, you can lean on them to do it, but mostly everything I've done yeah. has been all just me grinding, yeah. grinding it out. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, if you give a band, definitely don't just leave one person to do all the work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that's insane to me. It's like how, I mean, that's not going to last. No. Uh, I think. And yeah. like a lot of this work is multifaceted. So find what people in the band. Yeah, there's so many, at. there's plenty of things to do. Like I'd see bands, you know, there's bands that I know in Milwaukee that Milwaukee, that'd be like, we're going on a tour. He's going to cover these things. I'm going to cover this. She's going to do this. And they, and they break it apart and yeah. they do it and they tackle totally. it as a team. For me being a solo, like artist, 
um, I mean, I play with ensembles and stuff, but all my, all of my art is, you know, like I said, I own both sides and everything. So it's really the buck stops here with me, um, all, all the, all the times on all the tours. And even if I'm with an ensemble, um, but even then, like a person on my ensemble has some experience and is interested in, it's like, thank you for helping me. <laughs> like you, like, like there's definitely, you know, there's definitely situations you can, you can work out with people around you doing little to no budget. I booked two tours in the United States all well. They, they were, they were going to exist, but <laughs> COVID COVID yeah. had other plans, but all DIY, all just emails, make a list, lots of just every day, just looking on Facebook, making lists, emailing everybody, tracking all the emails with free tools like the amount of free things, the amount of free knowledge and information, like this is a perfect example, this whole podcast, right? Like all this stuff, working on a budget, like don't spend, don't spend thousands of dollars on a consultant. If you don't know, even know what the consultant is even going to tell you or, or if that information is available for, or, for free elsewhere. Right. Right. I mean, like what I mean is like, yeah, don't, don't spend it if you don't really know what it is you're even looking for. Right. That's such a good point. And, and that's the thing where it's like, when you start looking, you start seeing what's out there. We literally have the, like a new, we have a library of Alexandria in the 21st century. It's on library of Alexandria, like to the moon. It's insane. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's but it's the like, internet, it's the internet. Yeah. And so everything, everything, most of what I've learned, I've accessed through the internet. I mean, you, even your book and your podcast and everything's I through the internet. We found it through the internet. You sent you the book. I well through, through the internet. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> you're you're definitely yeah. yeah I mean, literally. Connects every, but I didn't send you the book. Amazon, did, you know, right. I typed something in and it went to you. The the point is, when it comes to DIYing things, like it's it's a lot. It's it's a, there are definitely a, it's definitely a curve of like a learning curve for some things. But it's totally worth it to just know those, just to know those aspects too. Just like, okay, now I know how to book a tour. Yeah. Now I know how to be a tour manager. I know how to be a booking agent. I know how to do all these things, at least to, to a degree. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pretend like, oh yeah, I could do a booking agent's job. Sure. Or, you know, or, or be a tour. Like, I just understand. I, I've had actual hands-on exposure yeah. to what those, to the basics of what those roles entail. Totally. And, and to me, that's really, 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 really valuable information yeah. because now I'm not going to, I'm not going to unlearn those things. You can't, yeah. you can't unlearn certain things, you know, you could forget maybe, right. but you can't like, I can't unlearn that where it's like, someone's going to come to me and be like, yeah, I'll be a booking consultant. And I'm going to, you know, so pay, much you, sketchiness in that. pay you 3000, like you pay me $3,000 for me to book a couple gigs and there's no guarantees and stuff. And it's just like, uh, okay. I guess if I was, you know, but to me, it's just like, Hmm. I feel this way about this project. Frankly, this book is 15 bucks. I think podcast is free. I, people say to me all the time, you should be charging $15,000. Some I'm like, these are musicians. They're trying to fucking figure out their Spotify royalties and shit, you know, like, um, I mean, you know, teach their own. But um, I do want to, this is my opinion. I do want to clarify because you're like, oh, like there's fans, there's enthusiastic people. I, I do have a book and a podcast called Interning 101. I feel pretty strongly that um, if you're going to take on an intern, um, it's important that they are interested in a professional path oh, yeah. in the music industry because you don't want to let, I mean, there's 
like 98%, 99% of hands mean well, absolutely. But you don't want that 1%, you know, to let that sycophant or right. whatever, and, or who are too obsessed with you. Um, and I, I've talked about this a lot um, in interviews, maybe on this podcast or whatever, but that was the case with me. You know, Amanda Palmer was like, clearly you were on a professional track. She had had offers from fans for help. So I, I, I do want to clarify that. But, but, oh, but, yeah. but I You'll think it's- know. Yeah, you'll know. You'll right? know if someone actually wants you, to do you it. You might not, because the problem with a sycophant is they want to work on your stuff twenty four seven. They're obsessed with you, and if you're, you know, a DIY musician and you're, you know, it's just like, oh my god, this is awesome. They want to work so hard on my mm-hmm. music, and then suddenly it's uh, all about Eve or um, the Freddie, the the lover of Freddie Mercury's and Bohemian Rhapsody that right. like broke up Queen or whatever. I mean, and not to be extreme, but I've seen this happen with two clients. So it in real life, so. It's it, it's a real thing, but I do like how you said if there's fans who are like, "Hey, like you should play this place," and I know someone there, or whatever. That's really helpful if you're doing booking on your own. Yes, yeah, like okay, this fan is in Grand Rapids. Okay, well now you book a gig in Detroit and Grand Rapids, and right. they're like, you, you just do this one little leg mm-hmm. because this is your thing, and that's that. You just start small, right? It yeah. starts with small tasks, small things, and then build up from there, right? Obviously, yeah. I mean, that's with delegating anything and. You know, then you're a project manager and then you're, then you're a tour manager and then right. you're all these different things and you, you know, but, uh, yeah. So on a budget, it's possible. It's more possible than has ever been. Yeah. Ever. Exactly. Like, like by factors of many factors of like, yeah, if I could do it, anyone could do it with a smartphone. Like Kendrick Lamar song that won a Grammy was recorded through a smartphone. Yeah. I mean, Grant's is like really expensive mics and like, and they had <laughs> yeah. like amazing mastering and mixing and stuff. Yeah. But like a recording device is a recording device yeah. in terms of like turning it like, or I guess an analog to digital converter is an analog to digital convert. If it, if it's a phone through, you know, if it's a phone or a laptop or, or whatever it is, you know, it still captures that signal yeah. and it'll still, it'll still do that. And I would say most, I mean, most people have exposure to a smartphone. Yes. Or some sort of computer device. I don't mean, I'm not trying to like, I, you know, I know this is is a privileged content or privileged comment, but like I've walked through the slums of India and seen people on smartphones. Like it's amazing how ubiquitous it is. Yeah. So, um... Okay, just, I, you know, we we do need to wrap up at some point. This has already broken the record for the longest uh, podcast episode uh, of, of the show. But um, you are playing around with radio. You're going to work with Planetary Group this year. So that that's a new experiment for you. Yep. And um, I think you're really good about videos. You know, like you've made music videos. You're good about um, making, you know, videos for social and stuff like that. Um, also, uh, you have your own podcast. That's how we met um, a year ago. Um, and also, yeah. like... What was it exactly a year ago? It was a it was a year ago. It was fifty one weeks ago. Wow, that's pretty close. It was pretty close, and you were on that podcast because you were one of the top streaming artists in Wisconsin, and I was producing the I Voted Festival, and um, it was I was like, oh, that's awesome that um, this Milwaukee artist has a podcast, and great, I can spread the word on I Voted. So we talk about in the book like artists should start podcasts as a great way to oh, connect yeah. with their audience and. So yeah, so you're doing radio, you're doing videos, you're, well, you're exploring radio beyond, you know, Radio Milwaukee and the great stations that have supported you, and you're great at videos, you podcast, so you can comment on that or not. <laughs> There's just a I lot wish, in there. I wish I had more music videos. They're so fun, but 
it's just so much work and and talk about doing something on a budget i don't know i have grandiose visions for things and like i you know it like it uh that's all i'll say just express some frustration that i wish i had more music videos but i think you are good at putting video content out there even when it's oh, not yeah video in just in general like I think it's really important, like the vlog style. I've been like starting to get better at speaking to the camera, speaking directly to the fans, speaking from the heart, having a message, like being able to communicate my ideas and commu- it makes a huge difference. Like exactly like for, we're talking about the go, going back to the fundraising. When I go and make a video on YouTube and talk about my fundraiser and talk about what's happening and tell people what's going on uh, and then, you know, share that video on my you know, on YouTube, on Facebook and all these different things. And then I'll blast it on my, my uh, MailChimp every single time I get people then contributing to the fundraiser Yeah, almost every single time. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not doing it every day all the time and stuff, but um, it's, it, uh, there are, I mean, video and live streaming uh, are the kings of the content that mo- that a lot of uh, like YouTube and Facebook and stuff will prioritize um, and just speaking to someone, your face, yeah. like just having your face be there psychologically. I mean, it's the reason why album covers have faces on them. It's, it's yours like, literally has your face. On my it. last time was the first time doing it. First time. Well, there's my first album technically is a picture of me as a young child, but, <clears throat> but faces, yeah, faces, people like to see your beautiful faces. That's all I'm saying. Yes, and, 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 and we are designed as creatures to look at faces. Yeah. And it, this is just hands down. Think about babies. Yeah. It's, it's undeniable scientifically proven. Yeah. If you have a, a couple photos of some things and you have a photo of a face, people's will, people's eyes will automatically drop, be drawn to that face. Yeah. Uh, and so just take that for what it's worth. Obviously, you know, and that, and that's why I recommend everyone to get nice photos and to get, and to get, you know, even if it's just a, your friend with their smartphone exactly. with decent lighting, like smartphones do a lot. Yep. Uh, That's a do. nicer camera than like what people had in the 90s. Or oh, if they yeah. did, it cost like $50,000 or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know how we got on the faces, but that marketing, but the, marketing, yeah, yeah. Videos. The video, yeah. So the video is just a, it's just a moving, it's a moving face. <laughs> it's there you even go. more interesting. Amazing. <laughs> NFT it. Um, great. Live. Um, I think the main question I want to ask about that is, uh, actually what's that chapter called? Your, your live strategy and efficient touring. How did you go from not, from being an artist that doesn't play live to being able to sell out, you know, a few hundred tickets? Well, a lot of open mics. It was like, I had done some performance experience, like, and public speaking experience from, you know, from my university, I would have to like, I was asked to give a couple of lectures, even some, some classes and like, and, you know, be able to defend ideas and principles and give reports and uh, present, um, you know, though, you know, being in front of people. Uh, and I had some like middle school musical experience and stuff and, um, and some recital, like I played piano and played some recitals, but I had, I had some bad experiences of being frozen, mm. freezing on stage uh, as a kid with piano recitals. And then my teacher would come and be like, it's fine, right? And I just, yeah. my heart would be going, I'd be, my head would be spinning. It's just like, I, I, I was terrified. Yeah. 
And that's part of part of what stopped me from like playing that often was because I was just afraid. And it was really just uh, I was definitely I definitely had stage fright to a degree. I like ached for it. I knew I wanted it. I knew I like needed, but it it was it was just uh, I was afraid. Um, so then when I went, you know, went to get my master's and it was like, no, I'm a musician now, like a musician performs and like, not all of them, but like, that's what I, I knew I needed to, I knew I wanted to, and I knew I needed to. And so when I was over there, I would started to do open mics in Ireland and started to do a couple of those things and sing a couple of songs. And I played, you know, I had maybe a handful of times performed through, from all those years I've been making those albums. And then when I got, you know, then when I like, you know, there's this time where I was like, no, I'm a musician and no, nothing is more priority than that. Uh, I just started going to open mics one or two times a week, going to every single show that I could, every, everything constantly just consumed by watching other musicians, seeing what they're doing, seeing how they perform. So he was going like so much inspiration from other performers and other people. Um, but yeah, just lots of open mics. Practice makes perfect. Lots of open mics, just getting the reps in, facing the fears. And the first couple of times I did feel terrible and I did feel like I froze a couple of times or I did, you know, but it was done and it was just an open mic and it wasn't a, I wasn't selling tickets and I didn't feel like I had a lot of pressure. You know, it was just, just, okay, let's see if I can do this. And then I just do it for, you know, months and months, just every week, just do that. And then it's like, all right. Now let's see if we can book a show and bring people. Right. Then it's that. And then it's like, whoo, then it's even scarier. Like I would do that. And it was just like, I mean, I'm not trying to like turn anybody off from it, but it's like it at the time, I don't feel this anymore, but it would be like my stomach's upside down. Uh, my, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go into too detail about it, but you can imagine there's some, there's some intestinal issues going mm-hmm. on. You know, just stomachs dropping, being in the bathroom right before the performance, like right. freaking, like being like, oh my God, just putting so much pressure on myself uh, to for, for performance anxiety, right? <laughs> well, no, that's a different thing. But the, the, the stage fright. <laughs> but but the, I, yeah, I, then just basically, I just like got over it. You know? so, the, so the point is you went from not playing live to selling hundreds of tickets by, uh, you got good. Just practicing, putting the reps. But literally, I and I, I know we, we do need to wrap up. Um, literally, how do you go from zero tickets to like a few hundred tickets? Like that, what you just said is the foundation of it. But are you able to, like, how did you go from, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a performer a, took, to I'm going to sell at the Cactus Club. It took a couple of years. Like it, it took a. Uh, well, I'm just saying that because I know musicians always like, how? Right. Consistency. Yeah. I'd say is the key, just constant consistency, releasing an album every year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, always having something to push, always having something to be relevant. <clears throat> something good though to push, something that you believe in. Yeah, exactly. Not just having something. And having a having having a network of people, friends, starting with friends and family. You, you a know, big I get a big family, so it was easy. Like I was honestly there was a couple of times where I was like, Yeah, half the people here is my family. I, my friend, Emily Brodsky sold out the Mercury Lounge. She's from New York city and had a ton of family there. Shouted at her grandma. Like, yeah, no, and that's great. And it, it, yeah, it just takes like, it takes consistency, persistence and, you know, and practice. Yeah. 
and eventually you, you get it, you know, yeah. eventually it gets better, comes together. comes together. And now I take some of that stuff for granted. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I can play at that, sh- at that venue because I know the person I played there a few times and sure. yeah, and I sold it out. Whereas like years ago, I was like, man, how do I even play at that place? Yeah, right. How do Good I point. even get there? What? What? Yeah, we heard Justin Vernon talk about uh, buying the indie guide to booking or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that's what it is. And I mean, to me, it's just like, okay, I go to the open mics. Okay, those open mics, then you get to network with other musicians. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, I play, play a show at this thing. They'd be like, you play a show at a place? Yeah. How do you do that? That's great. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you want to come on the bill? Or, oh, yeah, like I can give you the email of the guy. Or, oh, no, you just ask him. He's over there. Or whatever it is, and you go, hey, can I play? And they'll be like, yeah, sure, of course. Just start small. Start what's what's in your control, and start what start what the start with things that's accessible and seems tangible and accessible. Just start and just go, and then and then just keep growing. Yeah. And then once you collect and, data the whole time. Yeah, collect data the whole time. Yeah, I've definitely missed out on some of that stuff, but but uh, but yeah, it just comes with the persistence. And also, I you know, working with promoters working with people, making networks with not just musicians, with the venues and with promoters and with other people. Cause it's like, okay, well, part of the reason why selling it out, it's like, yeah, a lot of people come to see me, but having a smart promoter to give me some tips and some tricks and stuff to learn or to like know what other bands to add onto the bill or how, you know, like to make it so that you're able to draw more, you know, people then, you know, like that makes a big difference too. And then you get more new fans and stuff. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, just, just never give up. Just keep going and just keep doing it. And, you know, the, the more, the more you do it, the better you get, you know, I've, I've had some performance, you know, experience, like I said, but I do have a lot of performance in like my blood. Yeah. Like my parent, my mother and my, her family are all performers. My grandfather was a musician and like all this stuff. So it's like, there is some, maybe like a little bit, Maybe I have a little bit of a advantage in some of that aspects of like, it's kind of a little more, I'd see my family performing. Right. So it was, you know, it's like one of those things it's possible. Oh, I, when, and you know, it's possible at an early age, it's less, it's less barriers to go over. It was my own mental thing. It wasn't, you know, you don't have to fight being like, Oh, you got to work in the plant. Like your grandfather and me, we were coal miners and you can't be a musician. That's for fairies or something. I don't know. You know, like, that's a big barrier to go to get over. Whereas me is more, you know, but still, I mean, the, the formula is still, yeah, just persistence, consistency. Well, and those conversations between musicians at open mics and at shows and stuff on how to do this stuff are no doubt invaluable, but that's what I'm trying to solve with this book and podcast. And we will right. have, um, obviously touring and webcasting episodes, uh, in the future, I was a tour manager for a long time. Um, yeah, those are going to be called your live strategy and efficient touring. So I, I, I will share all the information on all this stuff. We'll have Warp Tour founder Kevin Lyman and a lot oh. of great folks talking about that. Um, merch. You do a really good job at merch, in my opinion. Any thoughts on merch in general? Don't be afraid of merch. <laughs> no, just, just do it. Don't fear it. Just do it. Fun rate, pre, that's part of the pre-order is because then I can purchase a bunch of merch. That's already paid for. Merchandise is actually sometimes I'll play a gig and I'll make more money from the merch than I will from the gig. And I'll be like, wow, that was a already getting a good amount from the gig. But I have things to sell. Plug it constantly. Right. Sales. 
online instead of just letting your store sit there and yeah there's there's the merch on the road and on the gigs and then there's the merch on the site and i use an on-demand like shopify i mentioned that earlier it's a good one printful is one that i've been using that integrates with wordpress perfectly anyone who buys a hat or a shirt or whatever it's on demand i don't even fulfill it printful fulfills it they buy it and they send it off you know and you know you don't have to do that uh you can have your own amounts but then you know there's so many colors and so many sizes and all these things that we can do with on-demand stuff yeah. now. Um, but the shows is really like the thing that I see so many people missing out and understanding. And actually, I learned from other musicians who toured who realized, oh, I need to put to talk about this constantly. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like I've had experiences where I once I realized people don't know that they need to buy your merch. People right. don't know that you just got a 50% door deal of a $5 ticket entry. Right. You know, and totally. they don't really know what that means. They don't really know like, Hey, that's a pretty bad door deal, but I hear well, you. Yeah, I'm just giving, <laughs> I'm giving an example. People probably have had it. If you have a two bands, Absolutely. there's two bands sure, on yeah. a show. That's 50%. Totally. So, you know, and, or, you know, that's if the venue doesn't take any. So I've had instances where I realized that I would tell people say, Hey, I have merch back there. Merch is the best way to support me, at, you know, and my music right now, like at this show, you know, if, if it's a free show or there was one example where it was a show where the door person didn't even show up till like, you know, like there was probably half the crowd already in there. And then the door person went and started sat down. It's like, what? <laughs> That's how so, you know, and so then I told everybody, Hey, yeah. Like no, half you people didn't think like, this was a ticketed event. <laughs> like, but I know that a lot of people didn't get it, which is fine. But just to, just to let you know, I have merch for sale, and that's the best way to support a musician is when people are on tour, especially early, like people who don't have, can't sell out a big theater every place they go or whatever, or even get a few hundred or 50 or whatever. Like they don't even know you're relying on the local people to bring that. So let people know. Just let them know. Even if you have two fans, tell them. To buy your merch, I love <laughs> like, that. just tell them you like yeah. my merch. If you go buy that merch, that's what allows me to go to the next city. Exactly. And when I when I've done on tour, I've had I've had a thing where I went to Austin and I played a hostel. It was a free show. I said that multiple times during the performance, multiple times, not just once at the end, haphazardly. Yeah. Haphazardly, multiple times, saying it, hammering that point down. Every single person in the audience bought merch. Amazing. I would have made more money. I made more money from that merch than I would have if I was like a $5 door or something. I remember my first South by Southwest in like 2003 or something, the Dresden Dolls were playing and we were told like, don't bring merch. No one buys merch at South by. And you know, you're not getting paid to play South by. And I was the tour manager slash merch person. We crushed it on merch. I still have industry people come up to me like, oh, I bought a shirt from you at that South by. Like, I. I've had a festival. I went on a festival. It was just like, I don't even know if the festival people even like if they even thought about it or I don't even know. There was no one was selling merch. Yeah. It was a fifth street fest in Milwaukee. It's a huge festival. People were going, there was, we were headlining the thing. There was no one around. There was a rant. Like I had brought my merch. I didn't see a table anywhere. I didn't see anything. And I went and like asked I before, like right, like right before I went on stage, I remember like looking like, all right, where can I set up this merch? Because I have my own credit card reader and all that stuff, which you can get for free from Square or PayPal, and get email addresses, and get the email addresses through that through them purchasing their credit card. Yep. 
but they, I set up my own merch table right next to the stage when it was done and people were lining up. People were lining up and there was, and that I would have never got, I got an extra few hundred bucks. You know, I would have never gotten that if I didn't take that initiative to put it up myself and set it up and be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because, because guess what? That I want to get rid of all that. Merchandise. Totally. And, 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 and it's great because I do the fundraiser. So all, most of the merch from the, from like that I purchase with the release of the album, shirts and vinyl and CDs and stuff are all paid for. Yeah. So all of that money goes directly to me that I can then either invest back into my music or pay bills or pay whatever. Well, and the ad hoc approach you're talking about is also instant gratification for the fans. I was, I had a big grin on my face because we used to do that with the Dresden Dolls at very big festivals that you probably shouldn't, definitely shouldn't be doing that. But um, if it's not in the contract, well, it kind of is, but it's like, you know, at Coachella, there's a t-shirt stand like a million miles away and you get one freaking shirt. And so what we would do is like, I would stand in my, you know, I would stand by the side of the stage and Amanda would be like, this is Emily. She has a bag full of stuff. I'm going to come over there and say hi. And we would do yeah. it until security would yell at us. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, well, what, what are they going to do? It's just like claim 15% of that. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, and you know, if there's, if there's a, you know, if you're at a festival and they have a thing where you're not supposed to do it, people are, you know, I'm not, this particular instance I'm talking about, there was, there was ambiguity with it. There was no, there was no clause in a contract. No, I know. About, talking about merch and stuff. Uh, but where if it's at wherever you're at, I see. I remember there's just, like I, I've played shows with amazing musicians, and everyone is blown away, and they have nothing. <laughs> I know. And they and they gig regularly. Yeah. And so like talk about a missing revenue stream. Yeah, seriously. And they're like, oh, well, I should think. I'm thinking about getting some CDs. Where'd you get that? Oh my gosh. It's like, dude. Yeah. You've been playing. You've been playing around, like touring around. For a couple of years and you don't know where a cd i don't know it was just surprising yeah so it was, it was surprising and then it's like well you know you can go on kunaki.com and cds you can get a cd for a dollar well now they know yeah um and also quickly uh when i was tour managing abroad there were a few countries i remember it was really bad in scotland in italy it was wild and mexico as far as bootlegged merch so again, the main band I tour managed was the Dresden Dolls, and there would be—I mean, in Italy there was a full-on merch stand just outside the venue. Yeah, she lost messed up. It, right. So what we would do is, although I, I have to be totally honest, the Italy one was a little more intense. Um, my boss and mentor, uh, my boss at the time, um, and mentor Mike Lubo was there, and he's like, "Dude, I just talked to the promoter. This is all like mafia run. There's like nothing we can do to to shut it down." But in Scotland, just don't play there again. I guess in Scotland. Well, Italy is definitely top two countries I've ever been to. On... Well, I mean, that that venue. Yeah, good point. And I, I remember the name, but I won't. It was a million years ago, so who knows? Maybe it's under I guess new, what, new ownership. Yeah, what can you really do against Well, let, let me explain what we did. So we would just, like Scotland, all these bootleg guys selling Dresden Dolls t-shirts outside. Same thing. I went outside. I was like, hey, my name's Emily. I work for the band. If you buy from me, it's more to man. I mean, I have this American accent cutting through when right. I'm, there's all these like big Scottish hey, guys next to me. And these kids just lined up and they yeah. understood exactly what I was communicating. So yeah, you just got to figure it out. Yeah. Is what we're saying. I think people, yeah, people, if people know, they probably think, oh, wow, cool. Like they, they really got a good setup here. Lots of merch and everything. Right. It's just like, they don't know that that's mafia run 
you know, Although we started secondary market when we were touring with Nine Inch Nails, we did get some really cool like boot. I mean, Trent Reznor literally dressed up in disguise to go check this stuff out too. Because outside this arena in Mexico City, it was I like. I don't want to say miles, but like just blocks and blocks and blocks of bootlegged merch. And so we do get some pretty rad, like nine inch nail shot glasses and other rant. And, and Trent wanted to go check it out. So he dressed up and, or he went in costume and when he did it. So, okay. We really, really do need to wrap yeah, up. Let's do it. Um, revenue stream checklist. We definitely covered that. I actually just glanced at it. I know you're collecting on everything that you should be collecting on. Um, I wish we could talk about bonus revenue streams. We'll save that for the episode with artist and activist, Steph Reed. Um, repeat and grow. You do that better than anyone. You release an album every year. Um, I think so far. <laughs> and, um, you know, the last chapter, chapter of the book is, uh, you know, building, or, you know, an artist team. When do I need a manager and an mm-hmm. attorney, a business manager? So like, do you have a team? Like, I think the conventional wisdom is when you know exactly who you need, what you need and, and you actually like they come when you need them more so because you, sure. you'll know what That's it is answer. like i feel like a lot of times in my life i always been like man it'd be so great if i had a team and all these people to help me with these things but it's like well what actually const- constitutes a team yeah. and what are even these roles that i even need to be done and this is this is this is overwhelming feeling like i need help but if i don't actually know the if i can't even articulate what i need help with correct then, I mean, I, then I'm not really in a position to be telling, to be like delegating those tasks per se. I mean, not saying at least that's the way I approach it. Obviously like a manager probably could deal with help with a lot of that. Um, I uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling now a lot more like because of all the stuff that I've been doing, I have yeah, I have an intern and shout uh, out to Maddie. Shout out to Maddie. Yeah, thanks so much, man. For, and and uh, helping out, with with some press and i've had some help with some booking in the past um with just you know friends or volunteers and people people helping with that um and i do have you mentioned planetary now so i'm having a team of you know someone on that aspect of like where i think we're going just directly to college radio this year with my album you know and then reaching out to to sync people you know to be able to to have yeah to be clear you are happy to accept uh normal fees from music supervisors and brands oh yeah i mean definitely that's (laughs) and that's the that's the thing is you don't have to do just all uh, everything's free forever and then that's the only thing you ever do these are non-exclusive you know things and so it's like and you know the there there's there's plenty of instances where someone came to me and be like yeah well well there's a song for this these many is years and we'll present it to you know, music supervisors or A and R here and there or whatever it is. Where do you, you know, want that for A and R? Well, uh, I guess to, to answer your question, yeah, about the team, I still have a pretty lean team, and I you're want, the team. I mean, you've got Maddie. You're you're expanding a little bit, but everything you've done pretty is much really just me. You, yeah. yeah, and it's it's a little exhausting after the years and stuff. But but honestly, it keeps things lean and it keeps them simple, yeah. and it allows me to control my brand allows me to control my business and allows me to, 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 to pay my rent instead right. of, instead of like, okay, now I have all these people with their hands in the, in the pot sure. where it's like, well, if I'm self produced and so, why would I be, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I don't see myself being, having management 
you know, until it really makes sense until like I've been on multiple world tours or something yeah. or like, like I, I just, or maybe even then, I don't know, or it'd be like a, we'd co-manage or something, mm-hmm. you know, but I'd still need to know, how to, I'd still be able to do those tasks or know what needs to be done. And obviously have a manager, hopefully have a manager that would know more than me and go above that and teach me and still like, and we, you know, work together in that position. But yeah, there was the, I've, I've asked that to, to people before. And the thing that stuck with me was like, those people come in your life when you, it's like, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears you know, type thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I love that. Don't think about a booking agent or a booking consultant, unless you want to just front, unless you, yeah, unless you work, have a good job where you're getting a bunch of money uh, and you just want to make it easy and just hire someone and just pay them the money. Yeah. I mean, but if you're trying, if you're just doing it, hustling it all on yourself and stuff, like just let that stuff grow like naturally and just control everything yourself. That's at least the way that I have approached it personally, but it, you know, but it, it requires a, f- a full-time commitment really. And that's, and that's the, and that's the thing where it's like, I, I can be all the roles because it's all it's, I live and breathe it and it's my life. And it's, it's a, I've, there's no looking back at this point. You know what I mean? At least you kind of have to have that mentality at least to be able to do all those things. And, you know, it's not, it seems overwhelming for some, for, to, to a degree, but it's really just years and years and years of, of education and learning and hands-on and, and failing constantly, you know, messing up, not like even knowing, like I said, even knowing what the roles is that you need. Like if you're a musician and it's like, oh man, I need help with, a, I need a booking agent. Well, what is a booking agent? Right. What do they do? Yeah. What are the typical rules? Like, have you ever talked to one? You know, have, like, instead of just being like, oh, I wish someone could. 100%. Just, I, you could wish all day, you know. And preview for the, for when we talk about doing stuff, a lot of times I hear artists like, oh, I got to get an agent because then I can open for artists and then I'll land support tours. And it's like 98% of those decisions are made by the headlining artists. So if that's right. what you want, you should go genuinely build relationships with other artists. Preview. Yeah, I think, I think it's just the, the, the yeah, if, when you know what those roles are and you're very well versed in what, the, what they do and you've had hands-on experience and know people in that and like you, you know artists maybe who've told you about the agents or you've talked to the agents personally and you've, you know, not to be like, hey, will you, will you be my agent? It's just like, oh, well, what's your job? What is this? What is going on? How, you know, asking about that. What's the typical thing? Like learning about it and then you can actually understand how to make a team you know, is to actually know what those roles are. And agents are, and now again, it's in the book. I'll talk about it more in the touring episodes, but agents are numbers oriented people. So, you know, start building your draw locally and guess what? That's not enough. They're going to assume that you draw in your hometown. So start setting up gig swaps, you know, with artists in other cities and and building. They're, they're, they love music, but they're really data oriented people. And there's been, there already was so much consolidation in the live booking um, sector before COVID. And now like everybody's laid off and starting new companies and, it's just right. the wild, wild like west. You're, you're in a much better position to build a team, like I, you know, when you've already, when you already have the basics of 100%. all of those roles covered yourself. Like you're saying, I mean, this is a case for for labels, for management, for agents, for literally anyone. It's like, are you proven? Yeah. Are you proved? Like, have you toured around? Well, what agent? What agent is gonna roll the dice? Unless they like see you and they're like, this is the next you know, these are the next Rolling Stones or like, you know, like, but how often, like, if you're banking on that as your, as your exactly. way, as your way out, then 
Good it's, luck. It's really rare that happens, and that does happen once in a while. Well, wait, wait. It does happen once in a while, and then, oh, and they get a big manager on, and they right. get a label on board, and they get all I this know. stuff, and then yeah. nothing happens. And they didn't. They ended up not owning any of their things, yep. and they ended up not... So yeah, so I'm not saying don't do that, but do all the stuff that we're doing so you still own data if that succeeds and or or if that changes or if it falls apart. Yeah, you just want to be in a position of leverage when you're building a team anyway. Like yeah. you want you want people to want to be in your team, not like you begging them and pay, having totally. to like pay them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's a much better position to be building your team. So that's the idea. It's like yeah. when you are ready, then you're then then people like if, if I'm, if I, if, like I was saying, like about management, it's like, oh, I would have to be on a few world, couple, two or three world tools already before I would even think about that. Right. And I'd probably get an agent before I get a manager, a booking agent before I get a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like every, a lot of artists. Yeah. That. And that's the thing. It's like, well, well, what agent is going to be like, oh, okay. You know, you say like, oh, hey, will you, I want to go on tour. Will you help me? Like, okay, well, what have you toured before? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I've never really toured. It's like, well, how many, you know, how many people could even come out of these cities? Right. Like, well, I yeah. don't really know. I mean, like I got a, uh, an uncle there, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, this booking agent is going to do all this work just because yeah. you have an uncle. You know what I mean? Like, is that real? No, no that's not real. Yeah. So, so people are going to be, and that's the thing about people. I mean, you do have like 300 cousins around Southeastern Wisconsin, <laughs> but you already draw there anyway. Yeah. Well, me, yeah, my, my uncle's situation might be different than someone else's uncle's situation. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the idea. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to develop my own team with people that have specific roles for specific purposes. And that's the, that's the key. It's like, that's what, right. what are those specific roles and what are those specific purposes? And yeah. And it, it, it becomes more clear the more experience you have and the more understanding you have of what the music business is. It becomes more clear uh, what you need. What you need. Yeah, yeah exactly. The more you educate yourself. Okay. Last question. We, we got there. Um, what does building a sustainable music career mean to you? It means uh, being able to be a musician for my life my whole life as a as a it's a lot of people approach it as a vocation you know and i think that's the that's the part that struggles with a lot of people struggle to like monetize it because the vocation is like bigger than economics or something it's like human spirit or like but the reality of the world that we live in and stuff and actually the reality is that it's it's easier now than ever to build a sustainable music career yeah. than, than it's ever been in the world. So like we are living in the best time for musicians to do this. And so I, yeah, to me, it's, I mean, ideally it's like sustainable, sustainable music career is legit passive income from the songs that I've made and like you work hard on these songs and you, and you bring them out and then they can just, you just earning dividends, right. Or whatever, for lack of a better, you know, like you're, you're earning your assets are, are making money for you when you're done with it. And that's part of the sustainability is that you can then just, you know, I mean like how many, yeah, that that's what it's just to do it, to do it sustainable just means for a long time and efficient and efficiently. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Not to, not to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to answer the question or for you. Yeah, um, but cool. thanks so much for um, talking aggregators and, and your career with yeah, me. I really no. appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I think, I think we could have gone for a couple more hours. You maybe, know it. Maybe next time. Yeah. Um, where can people <laughs> find you? Uh, people can find me at color.com. If you've come this, if you've come all this way, <laughs> if you've listened this, these like two and a half hours or whatever the edits are going to be end up being, then thank you. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and you can go to Cullah.com, C-U-L-L-A-H.com. Yeah. Or just search Cullah on Google or Spotify or whatever. And, and yeah. And hit me up on Instagram or whatever it is. What are you on on social? Uh, at Cullah Music. So it's Cullah, C-U-L-L-A-H, music. All one word. Awesome. Um, well, thanks everyone for tuning in. And uh, yeah, next week we will complete the setting up your release and distribution plan portion of the podcast. Uh, so that'll be part three where I'm going to be interviewing Symphonic General Manager Nick Gordon, uh, where you can learn about distribution companies, which is, um, again, I think aggregators are distributors, but clearly the industry doesn't. So I'm trying to take you through direct to fan aggregators and then on to a distributor. Uh, like Symphonic. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Huge thank you to Nathan Kane, uh, the engineer of this podcast, Matthew Wong for composing this music. Um, Hit me up with any questions at mwizzle on Twitter and on social. And otherwise, uh, you'll hear from me next week. Have a great week in the meantime. Thanks. Thanks.